Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You're not spending a ton of money anyway. He doesn't want more than a two-year term. I know you love the kids. You want to give them more opportunities behind the plate. But this is a special guy. He means a lot to the fan base. And in a time when we need to start considering the fans more because they haven't been part of the equation, this is important. Bring Yachty back. Give him what he wants. Two years. I think he would take two years for $20 million. Do it. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Greg Ansinger last week with the morning show talking about Yadier Molina and how he needs to be back. And Ferrario, after the weekend, I think it became even more likely that Yadier Molina is back next year in a Cardinals uniform. You think so? I do. James McCann has officially signed his deal with the Mets. We reported that this was likely to happen. It is officially done now. Four years, $40 million in total. million per season. Now, if you remember at the end of last week, it felt pretty pessimistic surrounding the Yadier Molina talks. There was the report from our guy, Mark Saxon, who said that it was a quote, ridiculous offer. Always a good word. The Cardinal side, according to Yadier Molina's agent. I don't think that it's going to be viewed that way anymore. I think this deal from James McCann makes it more likely than not that Yadier Molina signs for less than $10 million for the upcoming season. I think Yadier would love to get to 10, would love to get $10 million. I think he's going to have to accept less than 10 million and a one-year deal that at best for him has a team option for 2022. I think that's where we are right now based on what McCann's deal was with the Mets. And I think that the market has actually played itself into the Cardinals hands here. I think credit where it is due, the Cardinals saw this one correctly. They saw how the market was going to play out, and they were ultimately proven right. See, I originally was thinking like you on Saturday, BK, thinking there's no way. And I texted you, there's no way he gets more than $10 million. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm not so sure. Okay, like why? On the outside, I don't see him getting more than $10 million because his bat doesn't equate to what James McCann has been. Now, if you go back and look, his batting average has actually been a little bit better than McCann's over the last couple of years, but on base percentage, slugging percentage, Yachty's the minor when it comes to those two names. But in the Cardinals way, $10 million might be that sweet spot for Yachty, mostly because if James McCann got four years and $40 million, and we all can agree that Yachty is the superior defender to James McCann on this market... And what do the Cardinals value more than anything? They value defense and how you can run that pitching staff. 
So, yes, the market has shifted a little bit for Yachty in terms of outside. But if he wants to come back to the Cardinals, I still believe Yachty's going to tell St. Louis, look, it's $10 million a year for me. Who's he going to? Who, who is the leverage against the Cardinals, though? Because, like, we know this, right? If you're somebody out there and you're trying to get a raise from your current employer, the best way to do so is to have another employer that is bidding for your services against your current employer, right? Mm-hmm. If I go to Hubbard Radio and say, hey, I think I'm worthy of X, and there's another there's another company out there that will pay me that exact same amount, well, that's a little different. They can call my bluff, and maybe I have to end up going to take that offer, but that's a little different than me going up to Hubbard Radio and saying, I believe I'm worthy of X, and them saying, no, you're not. <laughs> me saying, you're right. Give me what you were going to give me, which was Y. No, that's called caving in, and it doesn't work. And Yadier Molina is in that spot, in my opinion, right now. Who else out there is giving him $10 million? Someone will give him that. Who? Because right now it feels to me like the market for him is basically the Cardinals and maybe, I don't even know for sure, but the Angels were apparently one of the last teams in the mix for James McCann. Maybe the White Sox get interested, but they have a young catcher that it seems like they're interested in playing every day. I don't know where the other alternatives are for Yachty that are going to be willing to go to that 10 plus million dollar mark. And if those guys aren't out there, well, then the Cardinals are the only shooter and he can call their bluff if he wants to. But they're probably offering five, seven million dollars, maybe with incentives that can become more. But I don't know where those other teams are coming at this point in time. But it becomes then what else is out there? And if you're a team like the Angels and the White Sox who need somebody who can upgrade that position. Yeah, they're older, but. Yachty upgrades over anybody other than JT Real Muto. And I think that's where the Cardinals fall into this category right now, BK. We heard Mo say it on the media conference last week. If Yachty isn't back, they would go outside to find somebody else. Now, Kisner's going to get playing time, but they're going to have to go get somebody who can play 60 to 80 games in a regular season. If it's not Yachty, who else is out there that's an upgrade over him? Real Muto, and and that's $125 million, at least what they're projecting, which is why, at least in my eyes, Yachty still has the upper hand with the Cardinals because it's, hey, you want me back? This is what I'm worth. Yeah, there's nobody out there better than Yachty. You're not going to upgrade from him if you're the Cardinals and you lose out on his services, no doubt. Um, But you could take a little bit of a step down from Yachty or Molina this upcoming year, which is likely to happen if you don't have him back. And then upgrade elsewhere, right? You would reallocate that money. It's not just a linear decision. It doesn't have to be Yachty's gone, so you have to now spend that $8 million on another catcher. No, of course not. You'd probably spend a couple million on a catcher and then maybe use that six or seven million dollars. Either they pocket it, which is possible, (laughs) or they go spend that on Jock Peterson or Eddie Rosario or whoever to be able to upgrade the offense. So you get worse defensively. Your pitching probably takes a little bit of a step back, but it's that sliding scale we always talk about where then you have to start talking about how does the offense get better if the defense takes a step back. There was one player that could have potentially been in that mix to upgrade the outfield that has officially gone off the board, and Greg Amsinger are not going to be a happy man about it. Favorite guy that's available that the Cardinals should really take a look at is David Dahl. He played for the Colorado Rockies. Last year, he was an all-star, and then he got hurt. But before he was hurt, I'm telling you, he looked like one of the top 10 players in the game. And yes, oh, Colorado skews things offensively. But this is a former first-round pick. You are what you are. He's had a hard time staying on the field. He's worth the risk, if you ask me. Go ahead and cross him off that list. (laughs) He is officially gone. David Dahl has signed a one-year, $3 million deal Mm. with the Texas Rangers. 
here's how I look at this, Alex. I think that the Cardinals could have easily matched that. I have no doubt in my mind that if they really wanted David Dahl, they could have gone three and a half, four million dollars if they really wanted that particular player. What this signing tells me is one of two things. Either A, they weren't all that interested in David Dahl and they wanted more certainty, or B, the Cardinals are okay with playing the musical chairs game where there are, what, probably 10-ish out corner outfielders right now that could upgrade the Cardinals offense. Mm -hmm. I think the Cardinals are okay going to the end of the rope with all of these guys and finding who is the last player standing that didn't have a dance partner. Who is that guy? And that's the one that we're going to go sign. He's going to be under market value because he doesn't have a whole lot of other suitors out there. I think the Cardinals are going to be fine with whoever that player is, whether it be Rosario or Jack Peterson or Schwarber, whoever it is that is ultimately left standing. That's the guy that I think the Cardinals, if they sign a corner outfielder, are going to end up with. Yeah, this goes back to the statement that we heard last week that I brought up. You know, Mo basically telling the media that he doesn't envision being left at the altar for any free agents. And when he said that, the first thing I'm thinking of was, okay, well, they're not diving into anybody who's going to be competition. And look, $3 million, it's an easy signing for the Cardinals, but you're in competition. How bad do the Rangers want them? How bad do the Cardinals want them? It starts inflating from there. The names that the Cardinals are going to be interested in, which look, they've been tied to everybody from George Springer to JT Real Muto. And we're still freaking talking about Francisco Lindor. I can't believe there was really a report over the weekend. That, hey, you know, <laughs> JT Real Muto would be a great fit for the Cardinals. Sure. Yeah. Hey, Bill, how's that $125 million look right now? So would George Springer. <laughs> He'd look great in center Actually, field for the Cardinals. Both of them would look fantastic <laughs> yeah, right go. now. Let's do it. Hey, you know who else? Francisco Lindor. Hell. Let's go get him. Throw in Nolan Arenado while we're at it. Well, Let's have a fun offseason. It's going to be Christmas right now. But no, it, it comes back to you're one, you're not in a bidding war for players right now in the market. And that's a lot of guys that you take the list off of. But then it comes back to one, what we talked about last week of what does a, a Jeff Albert hitter look like? And I think that goes into their consideration. And it also goes into consideration of the Cardinals having the yips of not wanting to be done with Tyler O'Neill, be done with Lane Thomas, be done with Justin Williams, because you don't want those to bite you in the ass like Randy Rosarena did. So I think all of these come into the final decision of the Cardinals saying, is it worth it? Probably not. Let's stick with these guys and see what they have. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Big day for us here on the show today. We've got Jeremy Werner of 24-7 uh, Illinois site, Illini Inquirer. He's going to join us coming up at 1130. We'll talk a little bit about bragging rights. We'll talk a little bit about the Lovey Smith decision from Illinois and who they could potentially be looking at for their next head football coach. We'll get to him coming up at 1130. I've got a mic drop for you guys. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Would it be a success if Dylan Carlson develops into Tommy Pham on the field for the Cardinals? Is that, is that enough? Would that be considered a success for you if Dylan Carlson in his career turns into a Tommy Pham type of player on the field? We'll get your Rhino Shield Mike drops in on that coming up in a little bit. A little bit of news to pass along. The AP College Basketball Top 25 was just revealed. Illinois is in at number 13. Mizzou comes in at number 16. It is their first time being back in the polls, I believe, in two years. And then St. Louis also receiving votes. Right now, they would be 27th if you want to look at it that way. They are not in the top 25. Illinois, number 13. Mizzou, 16. 
St. Louis just on the outside looking in in the top 25. So we'll get into more of the bragging rights results coming up as well. Coming up next, which AFC team is most likely to knock off the Chiefs in the postseason? I don't think my answer to that question is going to be what you expect. We'll get into it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go ahead and go through some NFL quick hitters after what was, I got to say, kind of a sleepy Sunday in the NFL up until Sunday night. And even the Sunday night game wasn't great. It, there just weren't a whole lot of compelling matchups yesterday. The Chiefs Dolphins game was closer late, but it, it was kind of weird. Eagles Saints certainly had some storylines, but overall, just a weird day of football. Yeah, hell, the Panthers Broncos were probably the more entertaining slate in the first two. Lo- I mean, look, I, I'm religiously with the red zone. Like, I watched that on yeah. Sundays, and even uh, what's-his-face, the host was talking about how this is the first time he can remember that there were no one-possession games going into the fourth quarter, or the witching hour, as he likes to call yeah, it. Yeah, it was weird. It wasn't a great slate, but there were some storylines nonetheless. Let's start with this, and it does kind of stem off of last night's game between the Steelers and the Bills. Ferrario, if you had to name which team in the AFC at this point is most likely to knock off the Chiefs in the playoffs, who would you go with? The team most likely to knock off the Chiefs in the AFC playoffs. Boy, um, my gut tells me Buffalo because it's been Pittsburgh all season long and look at what Buffalo just did to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's been just destroyed with injuries. But after watching what the Dolphins did to them. Oh, interesting. The, if the Dolphins <laughs> wouldn't go that route. I was say, if the Dolphins <laughs> made the playoffs, they would make it interesting. But no, Buffalo's the team for me. That's going to because Josh Allen is in his own right now. Stefan Diggs just showed why he is an elite wide receiver. That defense is probably the best it's been in a long time. Buffalo is the obvious choice after what they just did to Pittsburgh. Can I BK this answer all up right now for you? Don't say Pittsburgh. So, no, my answer is not Pittsburgh. Okay. You guys, you know, I was really high on Pittsburgh coming into the year. I right. said that they were going to win that division. I thought that they were going to be the best team not named the Chiefs in the AFC. I'm out on Pittsburgh. I'm out. I would not be surprised at this point if they lose in the first round of the AFC playoffs. Like your Dolphins, yeah. would it stun you no. if they beat the Steelers in the first round? It wouldn't for me either. In fact, I wouldn't be all that surprised if, hot take alert, the Browns win that division. Don't look now, but the Browns, if they win tonight, would be one game back of the Pittsburgh Steelers with a game to play against the Steelers head to head. If the if the Browns were to win that game, they would have the advantage, the tiebreaker against the Steelers in the AFC North. It's still not totally locked up for the Steelers. The team that I would pick, though, this is the one that I've mentioned quite a few times this year. Oh, is this the one you're going to BK? I'm sticking with the Titans, man. Really? I am. The Smoke and Mirrors Titans. The Smoke and Mirrors Titans. Did you see what Derrick Henry did to the Jaguars yesterday? Yeah, it was against me in fantasy football, so I, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Boy, I don't want to see that dude. As a Chiefs fan myself, I have no interest in watching that guy go up against the Chiefs defense in the playoffs again. No interest whatsoever. The Titans got out to a big start against the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, and ultimately we saw what happened in the in the end. But that's a really good team with a quality quarterback. If the defense can get a couple of stops against the Chiefs, that's the one that I would be the most worried about. With the disclaimer that if the Browns are able to repeat their performance of last week tonight against the Ravens, a game that you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage coming up at 630 for Monday Night Football, 
I might switch it over to the Browns. Really? So, but I'm a little worried about the Browns. You're more. What are you more worried about with the Browns? Because that offense can't concern you against Kansas City more than what Buffalo's offense has been able to do. It's the running game. As a Chiefs fan, I'm not too worried about you throwing all over me because if you want to get into a shootout where both teams are just going up and down the field real fast, I'm very convinced that the Chiefs will be able to win that game. Yeah, how'd that work out for Houston last year? It doesn't work out very well, typically. If you've got a running game, though, that can control the clock, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines and a defense that can get after him and make things difficult, that's where I get a little bit more worried. And that's where the Browns kind of have all of the elements of a team that can give the Chiefs some issues similar to what we saw from the Raiders earlier. Okay, but can that secondary on Cleveland contain that offense? Because Buffalo at least can do that with their secondary, albeit they stay healthy. Yeah, I don't know that anybody can truly contain that well, offense. That's true. You well. know, I mean, the, the Dolphins did as well as anybody possibly can. And Patrick Mahomes threw for 390 yards. <laughs> like there were the three interceptions in there, but he yeah. also threw for 390 yards and the Chiefs ended up scoring more than 30 points again. So if you've got a pretty good defense, that's not what I'm going to make my differentiating uh, decision on. If you've got a running game, that's where I think you can be able to kind of keep up with the Chiefs a little bit and give them some headaches. Browns, Titans, those would be my two teams. I'm sticking with the Titans for now. If the Browns win tonight, I think it might switch over to Cleveland. All right. Next NFL quick hitter coming off of the weekend that was. Is the Carson Wentz era officially over in Philly after what we saw yesterday from Jalen Hurts? Boy, Jalen Hurts looked a lot different than what he did that first game where he jumped in for Carson Wentz, right? Like he didn't look the okay quarterback that we saw before because of his versatile running. I'm still not sold that Jalen Hurts is the answer to Philadelphia. Like that was a great game. But it was also an unheard of game for that offensive line because they created holes that they have not been able to do for Carson Wentz. Maybe they hate Carson Wentz. I don't really know what's going on in Philly. But Jalen Hurts, kind of the Lamar Jackson effect for me or the Kyler Murray effect. But I haven't really seen the arm for Jalen Hurts that I've seen for Kyler and occasionally for Lamar Jackson. So I still think there are a lot of holes for Philadelphia. And the biggest being the fact that Carson Wentz makes the amount of money that he makes, regardless if he's on your team or not. So as great as Jalen has been, I still think they're going to stick with Carson. I think it's over. I think yesterday was the clear indication. You can't go back. First of all, they're not going back to him this year. No, no chance. And I think they're just going to have to eat that contract next year. If they trade him after June 1st, there's this quirk in the NFL where it's called a post June one trade. Oh, you found the loophole. If they do that. It'll be $25 million against the cap for next season. Okay. And then $30 million against the cap for the 2022 season. Not bad. It hurts both years. Don't get me wrong. It really hurts. But you at least then are able to manage it a little bit better. It's not $50 million in one season, which is a third of the salary cap that they would have to take on. So maybe that's the route that they go. I think yesterday proved that while Jalen Hurts might not be the answer, it is very clear that Carson Wentz is the problem. Mm -hmm. Carson Wentz's inability to control the ball, his unwillingness to make the play that allows you to live another day, to stop making those silly mistakes, that's what's killing them right now. And just by going in there and yesterday taking care of the football, the Alex Smith effect, if you will, That's what made the Eagles 
have the ability to compete with the Saints in that game. So for me, I still am not convinced that Jalen Hurts is the guy, but I'm absolutely convinced at this point that Carson Wentz is not. And I think what you're going to see is them move on from him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with the Indianapolis Colts. Last one here for you, Alex. Okay. Is Aaron Rodgers after yesterday officially the front runner to win the MVP in the NFL this year? I hate to say this, but I think so. I saw you tweeted out, BK, of the numbers this season for Mahomes and Rodgers. And after that three interception performance yesterday against Miami and what with what Rodgers did in his game, I think he's over. I don't know if he's the clear cut MVP because Mahomes still has a case for what he's done this season. But I think that performance by Pat has opened up the door for Aaron, and I think he's jumped ahead a little bit. I think so, too, man. I mean, he was picking his spots yesterday with Devontae Adams. He's going inside shoulder, outside shoulder, low, high. He's doing everything an MVP needs to do for his team. He's a worthy MVP. It's not like a couple of years ago, I remember when Patrick Mahomes won his first MVP in his first year as a starter. There were a lot of people that were making the case for Drew Brees. Drew Brees was not worthy of winning the MVP that year. Aaron Rodgers absolutely is. He has thrown for 39 touchdowns. He's run in two more. He has on the season six more touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes does. He has fewer interceptions now after Mahomes threw those three picks yesterday. If you look at the passer rating, it's in Aaron Rodgers' favor. It was not skewed this way a couple of weeks ago, but after Mahomes' performance yesterday and all of the interceptions that he threw, I think we can officially say today, It is Aaron Rodgers in the driver's seat to win the MVP. No longer Patrick Mahomes, especially because right now, if the season ended today, the Packers would be the number one seed in the NFC. He's got the record. He's got the touchdown passes. All of the statistics are in his favor. The narrative of the Packers going out there and drafting a first round quarterback and then Rodgers giving an FU to the front office and doing this this season. It's all in his favor. I think Aaron Rodgers, as of today, is officially the favorite to be the MVP. And I still say, and look, this this may just be me reading too deep into it, but the fact that Aaron Rodgers is making Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and <laughs> Lazard look like all pro receivers is kind of a big deal. That says a lot about one player on your roster. We will get into our Rhino Shield mic drop feature of the day. Would it be a success for Dylan Carlson to develop into a Tommy Pham-esque player on the field? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But coming up next... Jeremy Werner, Werner of IlliniInquire.com is going to join us. Who does he see as the leading candidates to be the next head coach at Illinois? How good of a job is Illinois for the football program? We'll talk to Jeremy Werner about all of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you heard that in the update, there are two top 25 teams here locally in college basketball. Of course, talking about Illinois and Mizzou, unfortunately, right on the outside looking in is SLU. I would expect that at some point here in the near future, that will change. Right now, Illini ranked at number 13 in the top 25 college basketball rankings. Mizzou at number 16 overall coming out of the Bragg and Rights game. In my defense this morning when I looked at it, SLU was tied for 25. It's cool. It's all good, man. They they will be there eventually. We all expect that. Let's go now out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line talking with Jeremy Werner. He's the publisher over at Illini. Want to get hooked up with com. You can also follow him on Twitter at jwerner247. Jeremy, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? 
Busy, man. Uh, Illinois always keeps me pretty busy here, but uh, two seasons going on and had a coaching search in the middle of it, but uh, glad to join you guys. Absolutely. So let's start with that bragging rights game, and then we'll get over to the coaching side of things as well. What was your biggest takeaway from the Illini loss over in Columbia? Obviously, the refs kind of became the story, unfortunately, but what was your biggest takeaway from the Illini and that loss against Mizzou? Yeah, I thought the refs were a big story of that game, uh, a physical game, a uh, game where you got two opponents who really don't like each other. But um, I, I thought it was officiating was tight on both sides. And, and the free throws were the difference in the game. Missouri made their free throws and Illinois didn't. And, and guys, over the last three years, I think Illinois had the better basketball team, but Missouri's come out with a win. And, and I think you're just seeing a Missouri team that wants it more. Xavier Pinson, who uh, didn't have an Illini offer out of Chicago Simeon, um, he's played really well the last couple of years. Javon Pickett, who signed with the Illini, has played really well the last couple of years. It's amazing Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman haven't played very well uh, against Illinois the last couple of years, but those other guys have stepped up in a big way, and I think they've, they've out-toughed. Uh, Illinois, And I thought Missouri just looked like the more experienced team. Uh, and we, we saw that against Baylor with Illinois, too. But Baylor's a better team than Missouri. Uh, but I think Missouri's a lot better than, than people give them credit for. Uh, Illinois did have the best player on the court. Uh, I would assume almost saved them. Uh, but he, he kind of was a, you know, his own worst enemy late in the game of, um, you know, kind of how well he played in isolation really hurt Illinois late in the game because Missouri knew. Uh, I would assume he was going to have the ball late in the game, and he had two turnovers, a couple missed shots, uh, and Drew Smith played really good defense on him. So uh, I think Illinois is still really good. I think Missouri is a lot better than people thought. Um, but I just think Missouri has wanted this game um, the last couple of years a little bit more than Illinois. So – Jeremy, one more on college basketball I want to ask you because I was a little surprised to see, and I know it was a loss, and it's two losses in a row for Illinois uh, to, uh, this season, but who do you feel like is going to fare better in the NCAA tournament? I know it's a long season, but when you watch Mizzou and Illinois play, uh, who's got that better chance? I think Illinois, in the long run, has the better team. Uh, I, I think Missouri is a tough out. I think they defend better than they have in recent years. And I, getting up and down the court, I was really – really um, you know, impressed with Xavier Pinson and pushing the pace. I think that's really good for Missouri because they've just gotten stuck in the mud at times offensively uh, the past couple of years. So I think Missouri is going to be an NCAA tournament team. I think this is Kondo's best team. But Illinois, I think, has the better talent, right? I think Kofi Coburn's better than what Missouri has on the inside. I think Adam Sumu is an All-American. Um, and I think Andre Crubello, Adam Miller – are playing like freshmen right now. I think both those guys, Adam Miller wasn't a factor at all against Missouri. Andre Corbell has been really good the last couple of games against Duke and Missouri. I think the ceiling is with those guys. So if you're telling me who's going to compete for a conference title, who's going to have the chance to get to a final four, go deep into the tournament. I think it's much more likely Illinois, but I think Missouri is going to be a tough team all year and better in the sec than we thought. And I think they will be, uh, right in the mix in the NCAA tournament. So uh, it was nice to see two teams uh, of that level in this game again because it's, it's been a while since these two teams have been ranked quality teams. 
I just wish there was fans in the stands. I wish that game was in St. Louis with the full capacity because, man, that would have been an unbelievable environment. Uh, We're talking with Jeremy Werner, publisher over at IlliniInquirer.com. You can give him a follow on Twitter at JWerner247. All right, Jeremy, the big news that I would imagine is taking up the vast majority of your time right now is Illinois deciding to go their separate ways with Lovey Smith. They're now in the middle of a coaching search, and I love coaching searches. College football coaching searches are incredible. There's so much fun because there's so much speculation. And let's start with this. What kind of a job is Illinois right now? Because we know historically it's not the best job in the world, but you see every time that it comes open, people write the think pieces that are, hey, this is a potential sleeping giant in the Big Ten. So in your mind, how good of a job is this? I do think it's a job that has more potential than it's shown, right? But you can only call it a sleeping giant for three decades before you look at it and say, hey, over this, this century, Illinois has been one of the least successful Power 5 programs, right? I mean, just call it what it is. It's been the least successful. So either, one, this is a job that has flaws and is a very tough job, or two, you aren't hiring the right people. And it's probably a mixture of both those things, right? I think we all know Lovey Smith did not work out as bold of a hire as it was. Tim Beckman was a disaster. Ron Zook recruited well, uh, which was nice after Ron Turner, but he didn't coach well. Like they, they were underachieving most years uh, in that tenure. And Ron Turner had, had a nice run of the Sugar Bowl, but that was you know one or two years of success under him. So, guys, I would just put it this way. One coach over the last three decades – has left and gotten a better job. And that was John Makovic going from Illinois to Texas, I believe, in 1991. Um, so that tells you uh, what this job has been, and a lot of people called it a graveyard. Um, but I will say, I don't think Illinois is going to go out and probably get the number one candidate for most Big Ten programs. Um, but I do think it's a better job now than it was five years ago. And that's a credit to Josh Whitman, mostly. Um, and But also a little bit of Lovey Smith, because Lovey Smith brought dignity, integrity back to the program, brought some credibility back to the program after the depths of what it sunk to with Tim Beckman uh, and the abuse scandal there and just the embarrassment um, PR-wise and the embarrassments on the field uh, that they took. Um, they have an $80 million football facility that is a year old. Guys, before the football coaches' offices looked like they were stuck in the 1970s. There was one; it was the worst uh, in, in Power Five football. So I think you have that to build off of. But on the field, uh, Illinois, you know, is one of the worst in the Big Ten. There, there's no going around that. You know, Rutgers might be a little worse. Uh, you know, there's some other programs you could throw in there. I, I think Illinois and Purdue could be the same, but Purdue's got the coach. Uh, so that's Josh Whitman's job. And I will say this: Josh Whitman convinced Lovey Smith to not take uh, two years off, collect his $10 million buyout from Tampa Bay, and convinced him to come and take on the mess and try and clean it up here at Illinois. He was able to convince Brad Underwood to leave a pretty good situation in Oklahoma State and come to Illinois. So I do think they have the right guy making the pitch. And I do think, guys, this is a pretty good um, cycle for them because there's no other Midwest Power 5 job open this week at least. Um, you know, Auburn's at a different level. Arizona's a completely different geographical footprint and I do think there's some coaches here with Midwest ties that, that make a lot of sense and are very, very qualified for the job. So Jeremy, I'm curious, what went wrong with Lovey Smith there? Because last season, everyone was talking about Illinois with their, their big upset victory over Wisconsin, making a bowl game, heck, getting that two-year extension. What went wrong with Lovey Smith at the helm? 
Guys, I think mostly it was the concerns we had going in uh, when Lovey Smith got the job. Or I know he was a big name for everybody, and it was exciting when they hired the former Chicago Bears head coach. And uh, again, it gave him credibility and a shot in the arm fundraising wise but we, we were concerned would he adapt um you know when he got here i believe he was 57 years old uh was an nfl coach had been out of the college game for more than two decades would he adapt and he just never did he, he just never did adapt to recruiting i don't think he ever got the right staff in place uh i know garrick mcgee's a former missouri missouri uh, assistant coach uh he was a big time hire as an offensive coordinator and that failed um, after two years, Hardy Nickerson was the defense coordinator. What a name to get as your defense coordinator. He resigned midway through year three. Uh, and, you know, there were some good hires, including Corey Patterson, a former uh, high school coach there uh, in St. Louis, who's done really well recruiting. But, um, you know, Lovey had a chance to hire a defense coordinator. He did. He hired his son as a linebacker's coach. Um, you know, he had a chance to hire some people as a recruiting staffer that could, you know, really get after it in the college game. He hired a former NFL scout to lead his recruiting department. So I just think he never truly adapted. I don't think he ever fully bought into how much work you have to do in recruiting. And he personally has to do every day in recruiting. I just think he failed to adapt and, and didn't make the hires he needed to make. We're talking with Jeremy Werner here on 101 ESPN. All right, Jeremy, last thing for you, and this is the important bar, right? Who are the candidates that you think Illini fans should be keeping an eye on right now? And for you, who would be the guy that you would make that first phone call to to force him to tell you no before you move on to whatever that next group is? Yeah, no, I will preface this with saying I don't think he'll likely take the job because he's already passed on a Big Ten job that a lot of people would say is better. But I think you have to make a phone call to Luke Fickle uh, at Cincinnati. He's got a top ten program. He's got better recruiting classes in the Midwest uh, than Illinois at Cincinnati. Um, You'd have to offer him a bunch of money. But if you're Fickle, when's the next Big Ten job that's going to open? You know, is Ohio State going to open? I don't think so uh, under Ryan Day. That's his alma mater. He passed on Michigan State last year. Uh, Michigan's probably not going to open this time, and some people question whether Fickle would take the Michigan job. Um, so I think he's a Big Ten guy, and I think you got to call him. Uh, I think he'd be the perfect fit. He checks all the boxes. he got a Big Ten background, Midwest recruiting experience, great group of five success. Um, so I don't think Illinois will land him, but I think that has to be uh, the, the number one target. Uh, but I do think there are other guys uh, who make a lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of MAC coaches. And I know Illinois you know, uh, fans are probably spurned by the MAC after the Tim Beckman and John Gross experience. But Lance Leipold of Buffalo uh, won six national titles at the Division three level, has moved on to Buffalo and had great success. They're 23-9 and nine the last three seasons. And running the hell out of the ball. Yeah, and he's an offensive guy. Um, you know, he's not flashy with recruiting and all that, but uh, you don't need that. You need a good coach, and I think he would resonate with in-state coaches. Sean Lewis at Kent State's kind of the um, you know up-and-comer that people think could be a boomer bust pick. He's 34 years old. He's turned around Kent State, bright offensive mind. Uh, Jeff Monk in the Army. I, I don't know if Illinois would want the triple option. That would be a huge debate around here. It already is. But Monken's an Illinois native. Uh, the coaches in the high school area love him in state. Um, he's a winner. I think he'd be a great CEO of the program, um, and I think he'd run to this job. And, and another coordinator I think would be really interesting is Jim Leonard, uh, Wisconsin defense coordinator. I, I don't know if he actually want to leave 
Wisconsin. Um, but uh, he's a really bright guy. Everybody at Wisconsin thinks the world of him as a leader, as a, as a recruiter, as a defensive mind. He's one of the best uh, in, in the country. Uh, and then a couple of names I'll throw out there. I think Brett Bielema is throwing his name out to everybody, guys. Um, <laughs> I, I, he wants the job. I, I don't think that personally fits at Illinois, but he's putting himself into uh, everybody. And one name Illinois fans are banding about because uh, they love him so much. Um, he's, he's, he's on a fast track to being uh, a very – big name in this industry, but it's probably too early for him. But Nathan Chilas is a four-year starter uh, quarterback at Illinois. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to be one of the fast risers in this business. Uh, and boy, he's passionate. He's the antithesis of Lovey Smith when it comes to, you know, the outward face of a program, young, energetic, could kill it in recruiting. Uh, but he's 30 years old. He's an Iowa State uh, wide receivers coach. He's, he's learned uh, under one of the best coaches in the country, but he's only been in the coaching industry uh, for the last five years. But um, he is an interesting name. And could he be the Pat Fitzgerald? Maybe. But he'd have to, have to answer a lot of questions about who he could hire on his staff and all that. So those are names a lot of Illini fans are chewing on. But I will say this. Nobody saw Lovey Smith coming. Nobody saw Brad <laughs> Underwood coming. And um, so Josh Whitman has done an unbelievable job of, of being incognito during these searches. Nathan Shieldhouse is fascinating. He was a couple of years above me. I, I grew up in KC. I went to Blue Springs, and he played for the uh, the rival in KC, which was Rockhurst, and hell of a player, unbelievable about, at Illinois, really uh, a bright individual as well. So that'd be a really interesting hire, certainly, but it does seem a little bit early for me. Yep. Uh, one last quick question. We got about 30 seconds here, Jeremy. Do you think there's any sort of a profile that they're looking for? Like at Mizzou last year, all I heard the entire time was young offensive mind with a head coaching history. Is there anything like that that you believe that the Illini are looking for right now? Yeah, I think basically the same thing. Uh, now, Whitman, I don't think he's going to marry himself to an offensive coach, but usually it's the response hire, right? Is you had an older coach, you had a defensive coach, you had an NFL guy, it didn't work out. You're more likely to find a guy who's been a head coach, right? But young, passionate, energetic, maybe not the flash name, uh, but somebody who's going to get after it. I think you got to have a guy after Lovey Smith who, Lovey, no matter what happened at Illinois, Illinois was the third line on his resume, right? Or the third line in, in his bio. Um, this just didn't mean as much to him as it does for someone like Drinkwitz or, or PJ Fleck or, or Jeff Rom. Uh, this is their big opportunity to make it happen. I think it's got to be that kind of guy. And that's why I kind of listed off the names I did. I think it's got to be young, energetic, passionate, and a guy who's going to really get after it. He's Jeremy Werner. You can find his work over at the IlliniInquirer.com. He gave us some of the names. You can read more in depth about all of those on his first hot board. IlliniInquirer.com is where you find it. Also, follow him on Twitter at jwerner247. Jeremy, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family, and hopefully this thing gets wrapped up before Christmas for you guys. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Werner here on 101 ESPN. I love college football coaching searches. Alex, I if I am an Illini fan, what I'm looking for is the response to the Drinkwitz hire, right? And not to compare Mizzou and Illinois, but they were kind of in a similar spot in terms of Mizzou needed somebody to bring energy to the program again. Illinois needs that same thing. They've got something to recruit to. 
It's a in-state university in Illinois that has a ton of in-state talent that has not been untapped by any of the coaches of late. You have unbelievable facilities that are brand new. You're in a division that is more advantageous in the Big Ten. You are one of the probably two best power five conferences like you have a lot going for you if you're illinois and a really good ad that's shown he's willing and has the capacity to spend money you should be going for the next up-and-coming coach that should be the guy that you're looking for and right now the guy that seems to hold that water is lance leipold the guy that is currently over at buffalo it's not a super sexy name but it's not going to get a ton of people going by saying, Hey, we hired the Buffalo head football coach, (laughs) but he was incredible at Wisconsin whitewater. He had a ton of success there. He's a bright young mind. And that's the type of candidate that I would be looking for. If I'm an alignment. Yeah. Well, you're not looking for a sexy name because let's be honest, Eli Drinkwitz wasn't a sexy name when it, when it happened, but look at what he's done. And the recruiting side is is so intriguing to me, especially after what Jeremy said. And then I know know Matt Fortuno is going to be joining us in a little bit today, uh, talking about how Lovey just dropped the ball on the recruiting side with the talent here so that to me is the most intriguing factor in all of this he's alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn 65780 is the air comfort service tax line we'll get to questions and answers coming up next coming up at the top of the hour would it be a success for dylan carlson to develop into a tommy fam type of player on the field get your i know shield mic drops and on that we'll get to those coming up at 12 o'clock questions and answers coming up next we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 es SPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers coming up here in just a little bit. We will get into the question of the day. What would it make, or would it make rather, Dylan Carlson a success if he develops into a Tommy Fam type of player on the field? Will that be enough for you, or does it need to be more? The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, what did you learn about the Illini and Mizzou in Saturday's Bragging Rights game? Well, don't ever bring that officiating crew back. I mean, that was the biggest thing I learned. Look, both teams are fast. What Illinois has going for them, one is they they have one of the top players in the nation right now, but the other is they are big and they are heavy. Like that Coburn, I mean, Coburn reminds me of Shaq. Now, he's not as big as Shaq, but that dude is just thick. Like you cannot move. I mean, Jeremiah Tillman, who is a big guy and plays a heavy game, couldn't move this guy. He is massive yes. and uses his body in a way that very few college players do. And I think that's what made me so frustrated about watching that game is that is a power. They said this on the broadcast. And they were right. It was a heavyweight fight on Saturday and the co- or the, the referees were officiating it as if it was a lightweight, yeah. a featherweight fight. And that it was so frustrating to watch because Coburn wasn't doing anything that was illegal. No. He was just being physical. And that's what you expect to see from a guy like him inside. I thought the the story of the game, unfortunately, was the officiating. And yeah. far too often in college basketball, that's what these games become. And it makes it difficult to watch. That game was sloppy, man. It ended up with 59 free throws. There was like 50 fouls that were called over the course of the game. There was no pace to it, despite the fact that both teams wanted to get out and run, which should have made it for a really fun and entertaining game. Right. It still was that because the game was close. It was tight late and Illinois had a few unbelievable runs. Dasumu is amazing. Yes. That dude's one of the five best players in all of college basketball and him and Coburn are going to be the reason why the Illini should be favored to at the very minimum 
minimum, make a run to the Sweet 16 this year. They've got a great coach, and I thought Corbello was the guy that was their X factor on Saturday. They're really good team. Yeah, that, that Corbello, I told you last week, look, this guy looks like he is a, a senior playing in a freshman body. I mean, the speed, the awareness he has when he's underneath the basket. And, and honestly, Susumu made the best decision he could have because he probably went from a second-round pick last year to being a top-five pick in this upcoming draft yeah. for how good he's been playing. He's been awesome, and he was unstoppable at yeah. times on Saturday, despite the fact that the last shot was just weird. It was Yeah, what the hell was that? You took two timeouts if you're Brad Underwood to come up with that play? He definitely, that, was, that couldn't have been the goal. That couldn't have been the plan. They had but to think the time was different. My biggest takeaway is that both of these teams, I wouldn't be surprised if all three teams... SLU, Illinois, and Mizzou, all three local squads, end up in the Sweet 16 this year. Oh, I agree. They they all have that kind of a potential because they are all very different stylistically and in terms of how they're constructed. Illinois, it's all talent, right? From top to bottom, they are the more talented team than Missouri. Missouri has the perfect combination of veteran presence. And then SLU has kind of a mixture of both of those things. They've got some young guys that are really, really talented, but they also have, especially in their backcourt, the guys that have been there for a while now. So you're starting to see all three teams have been built differently, but they all have the ability to make a real run in this year's NCAA tournament. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, have you heard the Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter jingle yet? I have not. When I saw this text come in, I made sure that Ferrario pulled it. Alex, do you have that for us? Uh, well, I hope this I do. This jingle between Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers, they apparently uh, did some sort of a jingle. Again, I haven't heard this, so I, I don't know what, it, what what is this. Let's go, let's go here and hear, hear it together. Well, we have a little bagel. We made it for this day. And when it's over 250, then bagel, we shall say. Oh, bagel, bagel, bagel. Come get one out today. And when it's over 250, then bagel, we can say. It has no closing costs with no appraisal <laughs> fees. Go buy yourself a gift. It saves you lots of monies. My bagel is for you. It saves you lots of cash. Go out and make a party. Start saving up your stash. Oh, bagel, bagel, bagel. I made it for you to save. And when it's time and ready, the bagel we will say. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Was that a duo of Michael Buble and Frank Sinatra? I think it was a combination of Fergie and Jesus, oh actually. Oh, my God. Did anybody know Jamie Rivers could sing that good? I didn't know I needed that in my life, but I absolutely needed that in my life. That's incredible. We gotta, we gotta get my bagel is for you. It saves you lots of cash. Go out and make a party. Start saving up your stash. <laughs> oh, bagel, bagel, bagel. I made it for you to save. And when it's time and ready, the bagel we will save. I've been I've been told that there's a Jingle Bells one as well. There's another one of these? So we might have to dive into the vault for this one for the junk drawer later. I, I need all of the jingles from Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter. My favorite part is if you can get it at the very beginning, it sounds like Stalter's just a little hesitant. Well, like, we have a little... <laughs> He's well, like, what are well, you getting ready to make me do here? What are we doing? This you said we're too. doing a jingle? I think we're going to have to pull this BK and use it every time Stoltz comes in on the crossover. My bagel is for you. <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Coming up next. Would it be a success in your mind if Dylan Carlson develops into Tommy Pham on the field? Is that enough for him to be considered a success? We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. ceiling on him he's he's someone that i i feel like he's 
growing into the big leagues. He has a sense or understanding for it now. I think the exposure he received last year to it was, was helpful. Um, I think he's someone that can hit the ball um, to all fields. We, we all agree he's a dynamic outfielder. So I just think there's a, there's a lot to like about his game. And uh, so now it's just about opportunity and playing time. That was John Mosaylock last week on Fox Sports Midwest talking about Dylan Carlson says, quote, there is no ceiling on Dylan Carlson. I wanted to ask you guys, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. So let's talk about it. Let's let's put a tangible player on what Dylan Carlson could become. You look out to what the Cardinals previously had in the outfield and immediately my mind goes to Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham is a really good player, and I believe still that it was a mistake to trade him away. I still believe that to be the case, but let's not revisit that. Let's look into what Tommy Pham has become as a major league player. Since becoming a regular in the MLB, he has slashed 280 batting average, 376 on base percentage with a 465 slugging. He is averaging 20 doubles and 17 homers per year to go along with about 15 to 20 stolen bases. He is an all-around player. We know he's pretty good defensively. He was a late bloomer, but has become a really, really good Major League Baseball player. So the question for you, would it be considered a success for Dylan Carlson if he becomes that, if he becomes the player on the field that Tommy Pham has become? If that's what he is, is that good enough for what you've been sold that Dylan Carlson can be? Ferrario, where do you fall on this? Hell no, that's not good enough. It's not. Guys, Dylan Carlson was sold to us as a franchise-changing player. And I know John Mozalek would like to take it back if he could, but the hype around Carlson was the same as the hype around Pujols, correct? You have to, to pry Dylan Carlson from my dead hands if you want him in a trade. All of these things scream two-hole, three-hole, four-hole hitter on a team. And if he doesn't live up to that, and look, Tommy Pham was a 300, 400, 500 hitter slash line for the Cardinals in the one season that he hit his peak. But that was one season, and it hasn't been the same. It's been close, but it hasn't been the same since. So if Dylan Carlson is Tommy Pham, that means you're going to get a couple of good seasons, and that's about it. Dylan Carlson has to become a franchise player for you. And if he doesn't, in my opinion, that's a fail. Tommy Pham, since becoming a regular, has an 840 OPS. Among Cardinals players over the last decade, so since that, actually, let me put it this way, since the Cardinals won the World Series in 2011, so 2012 to 2020, how many Cardinals players do you believe in that span have an OPS of at least 840, matching what Tommy Pham has done since he became a regular in Major League Baseball. How many Cardinals players? How many Cardinals players since 2012, among all of the regular guys that have been in the lineup consistently, have at least an OPS of 840 since 2012? (sighs) Any guesses? Uh, The first couple names that come to mind are Holiday and Carpenter. Zero. Exactly zero Cardinals since 2012 have at least an 840 OPS among all of the guys that had at least 500 plate appearances. So you're telling me that if Dylan Carlson becomes the single best Cardinals hitter since 2012, that that would be a failure? Then the Cardinals have oversold him to what you or to all of the fans. They have. That is what I'm coming down on this. I put this out on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Would this be a success if Dylan Carlson becomes Tommy Pham on the field? Would that be good enough for you? 60% of Cardinals fans have answered no. 
That is not enough. He needs to be better than what Tommy Pham has been. Man, I'm here to tell you that that should be considered a success. No, that doesn't mean that it has to be. And based on what the Cardinals have sold you, I totally understand those answers because John Mosaic, you just heard, said there is no ceiling on what Dylan Carlson can be. He said you'd have to pry him from my cold, dead hands to be able to trade him. He said he's the best Cardinals hitter in their system since Albert Pujols. When those are the statements that are coming out of the Cardinals front office, you should be expecting the moon. You should be expecting him to be a top 25 30 player in all of baseball i totally understand those expectations they are reasonable for you to have they are also unreasonable for us to believe that dylan carlson can be that he wasn't a top five prospect in all of baseball he was a very good prospect but not an elite type of a prospect he if he becomes this if he becomes a player that hits 25 percent above league average and is really good defensively, consistently gets you 15 to 20 stolen bases, is a really good all-around player that's 25 doubles, 20 homers per year, that should be a success. Unfortunately, and the Cardinals have a, a way of doing this, the Cardinals have sold you so much about what he can be that for a lot of you, it wouldn't be. And that's totally unfair to Dylan Carlson. And, and I remember when Mazalock said it too. He even said before he said the name Pujols, I'm going to regret saying this. But if he says that, he truly believes it. And look, I know it's, it's overhyped to say that possibly one of the best players in the Cardinals organization ever is comparable to what you have right now in your system. But Tommy Pham... It should be, but it's not because of what we've been told and because of how much this team has been searching for that one player. We haven't had this player that Dylan Carlson has been sold to as since Albert Pujols that's come up through the system and turned into this. You've had spurts with guys. Um, you know, you, you've you had guys that you've traded away that might turn into it, but you've never had this. Oscar Taveras was the first, last thing that you had, and it unfortunately didn't work out for the Cardinals. Um that's why no matter what, if this guy doesn't become a future Cardinals Hall of Famer, the Cardinals are going to miss out on this. And man, that is a bad way yeah. to sell your fan base because you are setting up a young player for failure. Because if he doesn't listen to think about what you just said, if he doesn't become a future Cardinals Hall of Famer, he is a failure. Yeah, that. Those are the expectations that end up with Stephen Biscotti getting shipped out of town, Randall Gritchett getting shipped out of town, Tommy Pham getting shipped out of town, all of these young guys, Colton Wong not being good enough. Nope, that's not enough. We need more for the $12.5 million. You look across the board, and they've done this to so many young players where they sell them as being the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they're simply really good. And that's not enough. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. BK, what's the sample size that you're looking at since Tommy Pham became a regular? How many seasons and plate appearances? I'm looking at since the start of the 2017 season. So that's 450 games, almost 2,000 plate appearances for Tommy Pham. And in that time, an 840 OPS, which is really damn good, would be the best in that span on the Cardinals. Let's go out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Dylan Carlson. If he becomes Tommy Pham, is that enough for you on the field? Let's hear from Mike. Is this some sort of a joke? Uh, Tommy Pham? Uh, no, that wouldn't be enough. No way. Uh, the way he's been billed, I mean, realistically, you need to see. I don't even know if Matt Holiday numbers would be good enough for him, the way he's been billed. You, you got to see it now. I also think 
in a sense right now, people don't know the Tommy Pham numbers that you're talking about because people see Tommy Pham or hear the name and they think, oh, you had one great season of Tommy Pham. But there have been, he put together a couple of good seasons for the Cardinals, like you've mentioned, BK. So I do think that people hear Tommy Pham and think that it's less than what it really is. But again, you're going name recognition. You're going off of a, a, a shoe-in to a Hall of Fame player in Albert Pujols, and I think that's where people have put their standards. If you don't think Matt Holliday's numbers would be a success for Dylan Carlson, then I think he's going to be a failure. And that is not me taking a shot against his performance. I think Dylan Carlson's going to be really good. I think we sometimes forget how great Matt Holliday was in a Cardinals uniform. Oh, God, yeah. In his seasons here in St. Louis, which is eight years in total, he averaged, averaged 40 doubles, 25 homers, 99 RBI, and finished his career in that span with, er, in the span that I'm talking about, with an 863 OPS. That's, if, if that is not quite good enough for you, then I think that we are going to be looking back at this as being a failed experiment, unfortunately. Let's go back out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. We've got one more. Here's Steven on whether or not Dylan Carlson becoming Tommy Pham would be enough. To answer your question about Tommy Pham and Dylan Carlson, hell to the no. Uh, if you look at Pham's 19, it, it was pretty good. Nothing outstandingly great. Uh, his 2020 was bad, negative war. Not many at bats, bad year for a lot of guys. So if Dylan Carlson is a guy that you couldn't pry out of most dead hands, <laughs> he better be a hell of a lot better than that because he had guys like Randy A. and Tatis Jr. in his hands, and that wasn't good enough. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's amazing what Cardinals fans remember, too. They, they will never forget that statement from John Mozeliak. The cold dead the hands cold one. Dead, just like you never forget Doug Armstrong and stabbing him in the brain and twisting the knife. They're never going to forget that. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get to some more of these coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Would it be a success for Tommy Pham to basically be the type of success that we see from Dylan Carlson moving forward? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, we're getting back to the Illini side of things. What do does the Illini need to see from their next head football coach? We'll ask Matt Fortuna of The Athletic when he joins us coming up next on 101 ES. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I really believe that this is one of the premier vacancies in college football this year. I think we've got an unbelievable opportunity here at the University of Illinois. Our potential for this football program for a long list of reasons uh, is, is just waiting below the surface. And I think we have to find the right leader to tap into that. That was Josh Whitman yesterday talking about the Illinois job and saying that it is a very attractive job out there. Somebody who definitely agrees with that based on what he wrote yesterday is Matt Fortuna. Of college. He's a college football insider for The Athletic. You can find his work over there and follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Fortuna. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Matt, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Yeah, it was my second time doing St. Louis radio in the last two weeks, and I've been introduced as a celebrity both times. So, you know what? You guys are my new best friends. <laughs> hey, this is what we're here for. You know, in a, in a year that has been a, a struggle for all of us, we are here to build you back up, Matt. Speaking of building back up, the Illini football program can use a little bit of that right now. I know you wrote about how this could be potentially one of the sleeping giants in the Big Ten. How good of a job is Illinois right now? I think it has the potential with the right guy to be a really good job. And I, no, like most things in society, I think, you know, I, I tweet that column out and, 
yeah, half the people telling me, rah, rah, I'm right. And other half the people telling me I'm an idiot because Illinois <laughs> hasn't done anything in our lifetimes, which is not inaccurate. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with that premise. Um, but, but I think when you look at the state of the program right now, the athletic department, the football program, you have an athletic director who's really good at his job and wants to be there, who's completely invested in the place in Josh Whitman. You have an $80 million football facility uh, that rivals any in the country. Uh, and, and you have a program that, I mean, look, they work great under Lovey Smith. That's why he got fired. But they're in position, maybe not short-term, but long-term, I think, to, to, to succeed in the Big Ten West. Um, I think when you look around the country right now, um, you're going to tell me Iowa State or Minnesota has things that Illinois doesn't? Because um, I, I can't buy that argument. And, and when you see the right coach in those places, Matt Campbell and Ames, P.J. Fleck in Minneapolis, P.J. Fleck, who's a suburban Chicago native who would have walked to the Illinois job when he was at Western Michigan, and who I have no doubt would be doing exactly what he's doing at Minnesota uh, at Illinois had those roles been reversed. Um, I, I think this is a place you can definitely win big. Maybe not at the level of Ohio State or, or national championship big, but I see no reason why you can't compete uh, to be one of the best teams of the Big Ten West every year. Matt, it was a really interesting piece reading through this and, and finding out the mishaps of Lovey Smith and his, and his crew when it came to recruiting uh, for Illinois. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what happened there? Because, you know, Lovey Smith, an NFL name that you you, you would think brings in plenty of recruits, it, it just never clicked for Illinois and for Lovey. No, I mean, I think in some ways the way his tenure unfolded confirmed the worst fears that everyone had when they hired Lovey Smith, which was, hey, that's a known name. He's had a lot of success at the professional level. He has a coach at college since 1995 or 1996. Like, what's like people grossly underestimate, I think, those who aren't in college football, um, just how much work needs to be done on days other than Saturdays and, frankly, on days in the offseason building your program up and recruiting talent. And what ended up happening for the most part with Lovey Smith was the transfer portal became his new best friend. And he treated this thing like it was free agency in the NFL, which look, the portal exists for a reason. There have been plenty of successful stories throughout the country and at many programs uh, of programs finding the next big thing through the portal and getting kids who are unhappy elsewhere to perform high for them. But I don't think that's a way to build a program. I don't think that's a way to build a program when you're the flagship state institution in the big 10 conference. Um, I, I just think that the lack of attention to uh, whether you want to call it a football hotbed or not, a, a place teeming with talent in, in Chicago and the greater you know, region uh, came back to bite them. I mean, their last signing class in 2020 did not have a single in-state player. I don't know how that's even possible um, when, when you're the only Big Ten public school in, in Illinois. Uh, so I, I just think the recruiting and particularly the relationships with the high school coaches and prospects in the area – it is going to be order number one for whoever the new coach is, because I, I think there are a lot of people in the state who want to get behind this program. They've just never been given a reason to anytime lately. Matt Fortuna of The Athletic joining us here on 101 ESPN. Matt, if you were, if I put you into Josh Whitman's shoes right now and you're in charge of hiring the next coach at the University of Illinois, what is the profile that you're looking for? Are you going with the young guy that has all of the upside, the bright offensive mind that as, as a Mizzou guy myself, that was basically what I heard from start to finish for their um, coaching hire last time around. They wanted somebody that had head coaching experience that was going to be an offensive mind. What would you be looking for in terms of the profile if you were in charge of finding the next Illinois coach? I think you need a guy with strong local ties. And I say that because... You need someone who's going to excite the area, who's going to know the area, 
and who's going to put butts in the seats, especially when fans are hopefully welcome back next time they take the field at, at Memorial Stadium and, and play exciting football and get the state behind this program. I mean, it's a great school. It's a top 15 public institution in the country. Uh, the, the, the brand name Illinois is still very big and powerful in Chicago and throughout the state. They have nearly half a million alums within the state. It's a really good school, and they have facilities. I, I think the only thing that's missing is a reason to attend football games on Saturdays and to get excited every week. We saw that with basketball, and we're seeing it turn around now at basketball behind Brad Underwood, who was a great hire from Oklahoma State, and behind Io DeSumo, who's a great player who also happens to be from Chicago. So there's definitely a local tie there. But, but more, I think the difference between football and basketball in the state is everyone knows Chicago is one of the best, if not the best, basketball city in the country when it comes to high school sports. Not every kid who grows up in Chicago playing basketball wants to go to Illinois. I mean, plenty do, but when you have Coach Cal, when you have Coach K, when you have people from all over the country uh, coming in, picking you up one and done and putting you in the NBA, they're playing more attractive uh, destinations out there, and there's not that local tie when you're a one-and-done player the way there is for football when you're a three- or four-year player and you can restore pride in your state institution. And I think I think that exists below the surface in the state. I really do. Some people may call me an optimist or idealist for saying that, but – um, I truly believe that. I know plenty of high school coaches uh, in the state who are dying for a reason to to send their kids to Illinois who've never even had a conversation with Lovey Smith. Uh, and I think when you look at the rosters around the Big Ten, outside of Ohio State and really outside of the state of Ohio, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that, that any Midwestern state right now is producing better high school football than the state of Illinois. And when you look at Notre Dame and when you look at the teams of the Big Ten where many of their best players are coming from, if they're not from the South or Texas, they're from Illinois. So I absolutely think you could build a successful program by trying to put a fence around the state. Matt, you mentioned you want somebody with local ties. Is there somebody in mind as you say that? Like, is there a candidate that fits that criteria that immediately jumps off the page for you? Yeah, two really jump out to me, and they couldn't be more different, but I also think both would work. That's Sean Lewis from Kent State and Jeff Monken from Army. Uh, Lewis is 34 years old. He's from Oklahoma, Illinois, Southside Chicago guy. Uh, as far as excitement, I mean, Kent State has the number one offense in the country, and he took over a job three years ago that was probably the worst in the country, and uh, it's not an easy place to win. The facilities are tough. The, the finances aren't great. They play an absolutely murderous schedule every year. Last year they had to play Auburn, Wisconsin, and Arizona State. And he still not only took them to the bowl, but gave them their first bowl win in program history. Um, it was on track to have a good season this year until the last two games got canceled because of the coronavirus. So um, I think that's a guy who, has, who bleeds Chicago, uh, who bleeds the state, who has the relationships and can continue to build on the relationships with the high school players and, and coaches in the state uh, that would, again, restore pride in the place and make people excited to go play for them. I think the other guy, Munkin, a uh, little bit older, but you know he's from a family of 12 football coaches. He was in Joliet. Uh, he knows this area inside and out. Um, I, I think people hear Jeff Munkin, they immediately think, oh, no, an option coach. That means we're settling for something less. I, I, I truly believe, based on conversations I've had with people in the industry, that Jeff Munkin is not a guy who's married to the option. I think he would hire an offensive coordinator with a more traditional style, maybe even someone in his own family, talking to you, Georgia, um, who, <laughs> who could come and, and, and light things up and open things up offensively. Uh, but, but that guy's a leader. He's a football coach. He's a program builder, uh, similar to, to Lewis in the sense of when he took over Army, that was one of the worst programs in the country, and they've now had four winning seasons in the last five years. Um, and they've done it a number of different ways with a number of different players, and this year with a completely different defensive coaching staff. So I think those are two guys who could go a long way toward rebuilding the trust 
between the program and the constituency within the state. Jeff Munkin is a fascinating option for them because I know everybody hears that and they're like, oh, triple option, I'm out. But as you said, I heard the same thing last year because Mizzou was reportedly interested in him as well. And there were a lot of reports that came out basically saying like, hey, if he came to a power five job, he is very unlikely to truly go with the, the triple option. So he'd be an interesting hire for sure. Matt, we always appreciate the time, man. People can find your work over on The Athletic. They can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore Fortuna F. O-R-T-U-N-A. All the best to you and your family. Happy holidays to you, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Matt Fortuna here on 101 ESPN. I love the idea of both of those hires for very different reasons. Jeff Monken, I could be sold on that because if he doesn't, and this is a disclaimer, if he does not run the triple option, and I, if I'm an Illini fan, I... I frankly don't want to see that at my institution because I think they can win without it. Uh, if he doesn't bring that to Illinois, I do think he could be a really good hire because he is a hell of a football coach, a really good coach. Sean Lewis is like the opposite. He would be going the Eli Drinkwitz route, right? He was an offensive coordinator at Bowling Green and Syracuse under Dino Babers, who's one of the brightest offensive minds in the country, despite what you've seen at Syracuse this year. He, that's not an ind- indication as to what he is as a coach. Dino Babers is a heck of a football coach. Sean Lewis was his offensive coordinator. Now he's doing it really well down at Kent State. He is 34 years old. He has just three years of head coaching experience, and he's coached a total of 30 games at Kent State. There's not a whole lot of track record here, but what you've seen early indicates that he can do it. The question would be, can he recruit at that level at Illinois? And there's just no way to be able to know that. Otherwise he would already have a bigger job elsewhere. Hey, look, I got three hours invested in this already thinking about the Illinois job. And I got plenty of knowledge when it comes to this. I'm already sold on Jeff Munkin. Jeff Munkin's your guy. I'm, I'm sold on it. Okay. You got a Juliet, Illinois native, a guy who knows the area coaching over at army. I'm sold. Bring him here. I love it. That's it. Somebody on the text line says Gus Malzahn. Well, could you be interested in him? If Gus Malzahn is interested in going to Illinois, I think it would be a really good hire. I know people don't like the retread idea. Gus Malzahn didn't fail at Auburn. Auburn failed Gus Malzahn because Auburn is a really good job, but it is an impossible job. You're always compared to Alabama. And if you're not able to be, you know, the greatest coach in the history of college football and Nick Saban, well, then you failed that season. Yeah. So Gus Malzahn had, had impossible expectations at Illinois. I actually do think that would be a pretty good hire, but geographically, I don't know if that's the route that he's going to go. not the solution. Jeff Monk is the solution, BK. <laughs> he's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're getting back into the Dylan Carlson question of the day. Would it be a success for Carlson to develop into the type of player that Tommy Pham has become in Major League Baseball? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Want to hear from you guys coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. They almost set these guys up to have so much expected from them that it's then impossible to perform. And it does. It creates this, it creates this, this, I think, you know, pressure that I don't know that it's always good for players to be under. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. That was Ben Fredrickson on the best podcast in baseball over the weekend. You can check that out um, online, anywhere you find your podcasts. Really good listen between him and Derek Gould talking about how the Cardinals set up some of these young players to fail based on the expectations that they place on them early in their tenure. I feel like that has happened with Dylan Carlson. 
The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We asked this earlier today. I posted it up on Twitter as well. If Dylan Carlson develops into the type of player that Tommy Pham has become in Major League Baseball, which is over the last four seasons, a 280 hitter with a 380 on base percentage, and he's averaging 20 doubles and 17 homers per year to go along with 15 to 20 stolen bases per season. If that's the type of player that Dylan Carlson becomes, is that good enough based on what you've been sold so far? 60% of the audience says no, that would not be good enough. He needs to be better than that. There is about 600 votes on this so far on my Twitter account at BK Sports Talk. And that is to Ben Fred's point. If Dylan Carlson becomes Tommy Pham, that should be a success. Should be. If you're a Cardinals fan, though, and that is not a success to you, I totally understand it because of the way that he's been sold with um, John Mosellock saying, You'd have to pry him for my cold, dead hands, saying he's one of the best Cardinals prospects, best Cardinals hitters since Albert Pujols. Everything that you have heard and the fact that they are now building around him in the outfield would lead you to believe this guy can be an absolute star in baseball. So for you, Ferrario, would that be enough if he becomes the type of player on the field that Tommy Pham has been? No, it's not. And it can't be, at least for the way that we are sold. And this is no, this is no shot at Dylan Carlson if he doesn't become this because it's not his fault. He was sold to the fan base in a time where they were lacking offense in a time that Piscotty never hit, Grichik never hit, Aledmus Diaz never hit. You were hoping that uh, Paul DeYoung would hit. You you didn't have that player that took over for Matt Holiday. Matt Carpenter for a little bit, but you never had that player to be the center of that team. And Dylan Carlson was sold that way. And I just asked you and break, BK, does John Mosellock regret saying that? Not the cold dead hands part, because I, I get you're selling the prospect like the Blues did. I told you the Blues did that with TJ Oshie. Now, different ownership at the time, but still the Blues did that with TJ Oshie. But the, the part about comparing him to, to Pujols, and I get he never said that he was going to become Pujols. He said that he's about as pure of a hitter as Albert Pujols was in the Cardinals system. As pure of a hitter as he's seen since Albert, Albert Pujols. Pujols. Did not directly compare the two, but said since then, he, he injected Pujols' name into the conversation. And there are some people that will misinterpret that. Fairly Correct. or unfairly, doesn't much matter. They see the Pujols name with Dylan Carlson. They're like, oh, right. well, all right. And if, they, and if Mo hasn't seen somebody since Pujols, that just goes to show you that the other guys never lived up the, to the potential. But Oscar Tavares was compared to it a little bit as well. Um, But I wonder if Mo regrets that because I remember when he said it and and he even prefaced it by saying, I'm going to regret saying this. If he could take that back, I wonder if he could right now because that's why I think nobody likes the the comps to Tommy Pham. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get to your mic drops here in just a moment. From the 314. Guys, Tommy Pham should be the floor for Dylan Carlson. Worse offensively than Pham is a total disappointment. Carlson's peak should be Larry Walker types of production at the plate. Oh, okay, so he just needs to be a Hall of Famer then. I don't know if this is a misremembrance of what Larry Walker was in his career or a total high upside for what we're talking about with Dylan Carlson, but in his peak from 97 to 2002, Larry Walker over that entire stretch, first of all, led the league in batting average three times, finished that five-year stretch uh, six years, rather, with a 353 batting average and an OPS above a thousand. Is that good? Was legitimately one of the best hitters in all of baseball at that time. If that's the expectations for Dylan Carlson, 
I have a really strong indication, a really strong feeling that we are going to be disappointed by what he becomes. And again, that is hugely unfair to Dylan Carlson. That is not his fault. He could be a really good player and not live up to those expectations. Because as you said, Alex, that's a Hall of Famer. The guys that we are comparing to Dylan Carlson are either Hall of Famers for all of baseball or at the very minimum Cardinals Hall of Famers. So it's... It's really difficult for me to see, okay, that is what the expectation should be as opposed to that's what the hope right. should be. And those are two very different things. It's the floor of what it should be expected versus the hope of what the ceiling can be. Well, if you're BK and you expect it, it happens. Exactly. Right? So I got two two uh, ceilings. Let me throw at you before we hit these mic traps and tell me, one, if you think this is doable, two, if it's reasonable. Cody Bellinger and Lance Berkman. Cody Bellinger seems really optimistic. Um, Cody Bellinger is an MVP. He is one of the best hitters in all of baseball. When you look at what he's done for um, the Dodgers, I don't think that is attainable. I wouldn't expect it to be attainable by Dylan Carlson. Uh, Lance Berkman, I'll have to look up and remember what the numbers were, but that also seems really high. So he's, to a, me. So he's a switch hitter, obviously. 293 career batting average, 366 home run. He had close to 2,000 hits, over 1,000 RBIs. Yeah, that I, I think that's also aiming way too high yeah. for Dylan Carlson. But I think, for, I think in terms of fans and what he's been sold as, Pujols and Larry Walker, to me, is not attainable. Yeah. But if you get a Berkman or if you get a Bellinger, at least for me, I'd be satisfied oh, yeah, with what they've told them. <laughs> Those are like MVP candidates. Of course. Somebody on the text line brings up Ray Lankford. That's probably a little bit more attainable. But I don't know if I don't know if DeYoung's a Ray Lankford in terms of power. Carlson, you mean? Or Carlson. I don't know if he's a he's he's not power like Lankford was. I mean, Lankford only had two years in his career above twenty five homers. Yeah. So that that seems about right. Twenty five doubles, twenty five homers, twenty steals. That's probably about what you should expect as as like what the hope should be for Dylan Carlson. But again, a Cardinals Hall of Famer. Yeah, but that that's the hope. That yeah. that is actually an attainable, realistic projection. Cody Bellinger, Berkman, Larry Walker, Albert Pujols. No, that should not be the hope for what like the 90th percentile projection is moving forward for Dylan Carlson. Let's go out to your Rhino Shield mic drops out on the 101 ESPN app. We're going to start with Courtney on whether or not Dylan Carlson becoming a Tommy Pham like player would be enough for that to be a success. Hey, guys. So that's not Courtney. No, it is Courtney. (laughs) Let's go out to Courtney on the Rhino Shield. If Dylan Carlson becomes comparable to Tommy Pham, I'm okay with that. That's a pretty good player. But I'm also a little disappointed because John Mosaylock in this front office has hyped this kid up to be like Oscar Tavares or Albert Pujols, especially when you say you'll have to pry him out of his cold, dead hands. I'm expecting an elite player like Albert, not Tommy Pham, but I'm okay with it. I think that's totally fair, and that's basically the point that I'm making. Courtney says it a little bit better than I did, frankly, but if he becomes that, I think that's a really good player that you love to have on your roster, but it is not somebody that is a franchise cornerstone the way that the Cardinals have billed him as. Again, really good player, love having him on the roster, an important piece to what can be a championship type of a contender. Could maybe even hit in the two-hole for you for a championship contender, but it is not enough to be one of the best players in all of baseball. It is not enough to be the pivot point in your lineup 
it's just not there. Let's go out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Let's hear from Lisa. Hey, guys. So I think Dylan Carlson has a lot of potential, but what he's going to be need is to be surrounded with other very good athletes. And outside of Paul Goldschmidt, who do you want up? Who do you want batting? So they have to get more talent around him for him to reach his full potential. Thanks. Absolutely. That's yeah. the key is it, it goes back to what we've talked about so much. It's this Peter principle, right? The Cardinals are asking a lot of players to go one step higher, one job higher than what they should expect to be. Paul DeYoung is not a cleanup hitter, but he can be a really good six hole hitter. That's not a shot against Paul, uh, Paul DeYoung. It's just a reality of who he is as a hitter right now. Harrison Bader should never be expected to contribute anything offensively, but because of what the lineup is around him, his deficiencies make you feel like he's dragging down the lineup more than it should. Colton Wong was never going to be a guy that hit for a ton of power, but he was asked to be that early in his career because the lineup around him wasn't good enough to make up for his lack of power. Let's go out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. We've got one more. This one comes in from Rob. I think from the Cardinals standpoint, yes, Dylan Carlson being Tommy Pham would be a success. They cherry pick certain stats to, to give themselves a pat on the back. The Cardinals fans would be disappo- disappointed because they've been building him up to be the next Mike Trout over the years and the biggest reason as to why they shouldn't go out and sign a big-name player, a proven player. I think that's fair. And it's not that they oversold him either. I mean, baseball prospects who does this for a living sees Dylan Carlson as one of the top players in Major League Baseball, but it's about living up to it in this system, and it goes back to Lisa's point, BK. If you don't have the protection around him, you're putting him in a spot that he might not have success in. Yeah, I mean... Carlson is a really good prospect in baseball, but let's let's not rank him somewhere that he he is not the prospect that Alex Reyes was. No, Alex Reyes was the top prospect in all of baseball. Dylan Carlson is the top prospect in the Cardinals system right now. So there's a little bit of a difference between those two. He's a very good prospect. He is not. He was top 50 at time, though, in Major League Baseball, which is really good. Yeah, it is not Cody Bellinger. It's not Albert Pujols. It, it is. It is not the top prospect, the crown jewel of the entire system of all of baseball. There's a big difference between those two. And even that top prospect in all of baseball it's very rare that he becomes an Albert Pujols, Lance Berkman, Cody Bellinger. Those guys are few and far between. So to ask that of Dylan Carlson just seems like really, really high expectations. It is 1250. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kiley will be joined by Robert Mays of The Athletic coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. I want to ask him who he thinks is the best AFC team most likely to upset the Chiefs in the playoffs. We'll do that coming up here in just about 15, 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Ferrario, I've got to get things started today. Okay. So over the weekend, I was reading something online. And... We all have our different holiday things, right? We all have different traditions that we have. Did you know that in Wisconsin, the thing that they do for the holidays, apparently, is eat raw meat sandwiches. Raw meat sandwiches. Okay, are we talking like like raw steak or are we talking nope. like just, just normal like lunch Ground meat? Ground beef. Raw meat. 
I was unaware that this is a thing, but the Wisconsin Health Department tweeted out, for many Wisconsin families, raw meat sandwiches are a holiday tradition, but eating raw meat is never recommended because of the bacteria it can contain. Ground beef should always be cooked to at least 160 degrees. Get more holiday food safety tips at their website, hashtag food safety. There are dozens of Wisconsin natives that tweeted at this account that said basically, uh-uh, we are not switching up our holiday traditions. I will continue to eat my raw ground beef sandwich on Christmas okay, Day. Uh, I have so many questions right now. Like, is this is this always been a thing? Did this start recently? I don't know. I have so many questions as well that right. I was... I, I didn't know people do this. Well, is Wisconsin filled with werewolves that we don't <laughs> know about that convert around Christmas time? Like... Where are we going with this right now? I don't I like listen, we've all got our our foods that are probably a little weird. Like my favorite team, their quarterback eats steak with ketchup. Um He's a psychopath, it, yes. Yeah, there are some weird decisions that people make with their food, and God bless you for it. Eat whatever makes you happy. If whatever makes you happy though is a raw ground beef sandwich, that's one bridge too far. If whatever <laughs> makes you happy gives you E. coli, you're probably <laughs> doing something wrong. I I have never heard of this prior to this story, and I hope I never hear about this again after this so, story. So I did this a little bit in high school. Not the raw meat, but you know how everyone goes through like the weightlifting stage, right? Where sure. you're like, try and become Rocky Balboa. That was my guy. I wanted to become Rocky. I used to do the raw egg things in the morning. Oh, like I used, really? Oh, yeah. I used to, like, crack two or three of them, and you I would drink them. Work? Thought it was going to work until I realized that it was actually throwing that up or, you know, going to the bathroom afterwards. Like, oh, yeah, maybe you should stay away from raw eggs. That's incredible. So thanks a lot, Rocky How Balboa. How old were you when you did this? Probably. It was my junior year of high school, so, like... You were too old to be doing this, yeah. man. Yeah. How long did this stage in your life A couple life of last? months, maybe, because you start, uh, you know, vomiting every once in a while, and you're like, ah! What a great idea. 65780 is the air comfort sign from the 314. Guys, I can confirm. My family at reunions has about three pounds of raw hamburger meat with white chopped onion, mustard, and raw rye bread. That comes from Justin. Is your family still alive, Justin? From the 217, I'm 49, and I remember my grandfather eating raw hamburgers with onions all the time. A lot of older guys did this back in the now, day. Now, I've done raw hot dogs, but that's not raw meat. At least it's pre, yeah, it's, it's pre-cooked. pre-cooked. Yeah, I've, well, it's pre-cooked pig buttholes, but I mean, it's pre-cooked something, right? <laughs> it's, it is cooked nonetheless. But the raw meat, I, I've uh, yeah, I've never uh, never heard of something like this. Okay, real, real quick, BK, this, this has nothing to do with getting sick from raw meat, but this does have to do with dying. Okay. I don't know how much of a golfer you are. Yeah, happy Monday, everyone. Optimus Ferrario here. I don't know how much of a golfer you are, but in Florida. Not a good one. Yeah. Well, these guys weren't either because in Florida, at a golf course, they uh, their their golf ball landed on an alligator's tail. Landed on an alligator's tail, and they thought it'd be a good idea to go up and get it. And they went Chubb style, like in Happy Gilmore. They walked up and tried to take the golf ball off of the alligator's tail. And we all can imagine what happened. He didn't die, but they, the, the alligator attacked the golf club and destroyed it and took it into the water. Just the club. Just the club. Wasn't that, the hand. That's a win. Yeah. That's a win. Wasn't the hand. We, we didn't lose a limb. Arms and legs are still good. We've got our head intact. There is no decapitation situation here. This is a win. If you are golfing and you attempt to, first of all, just get a new golf ball. I was going to say, second of all, if you, for whatever reason, decide, you know what, it is time to get this golf ball back from the tail of the alligator. If you only lose your club, 
you have won at the lottery of life. See, I don't know about that because uh, the club's worth more money than the golf ball. I would have just taken my losses and left without that golf ball. It is worth less than your life, though. With <laughs> Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Robert Mays of The Athletic's going to hop on with us. Who does he think has the best shot to upset the Chiefs in the AFC playoffs? Robert Mays is going to tell us coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Robert May is waiting for us. He is the host of the Athletics Football Show. It is a damn good podcast. Highly recommend listening to that. He's also an NFL writer for the Athletic as well. Joining us here on 101 ESPN. Robert, always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, doing fantastic. So let's start with, I think, what was the biggest news of the day yesterday or the biggest takeaway for most people, which was Jalen Hurts looking pretty good against the Saints defense. At, at this point, have we basically come to the conclusion that it's over for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia? And if so, what in the world do they do next? I don't know if I'm ready to come to that conclusion quite yet, just because if Jalen Hurts takes a fall over the next month, which I feel like is absolutely possible, then one of the reasons that Carson Wentz's time in Philadelphia might not be over is that there isn't a lot that they can do. I mean, they can't cut him, and I don't know why they would, because I'm assuming that somebody would be willing to take that contract for a small pick. And if they can't do that, and if they're sitting around looking, again, if Jalen Hurts isn't the guy, and observing the landscape and saying, well, can we really get better than Carson Wentz this offseason? Do we just need a coaching change? Do we need to tweak a couple of things? If the front office doesn't get turned over, which I don't think it will, I think Howie Rosen will still be there. This is a guy that just committed that contract to Carson Wentz a year and a half ago. So I don't think it's out of the question that Carson Wentz is back there. I just think that right now, Jalen Hurts definitely gives that offense a little bit more life. So, Robert, since we're on the top of quarterbacks, I'm curious, after watching Josh Allen do what he did uh, last night against the Steelers, we all know Pat Mahomes is the clear-cut quarterback in the AFC, but has Josh Allen become the second-best quarterback in that conference? No. I, I think that Deshaun Watson is still better than Josh Allen. Thank you. I think that I think that what Deshaun Watson has done this year is pretty remarkable, considering the lack of help that he's had. I mean, not even beyond trading DeAndre Hopkins which, I mean, that's just a, a whole other issue. But that's an offense that just doesn't give Deshaun Watson much help. Yeah, there aren't a lot of screens in that offense. There's a lot of play-action passing in that offense. It's a high-difficulty situation that he's in, and he's playing the best football of his career. Yesterday was an aberration compared to the football that Deshaun Watson has played for most of the season. So I could think you could make an argument that Deshaun Watson is the best, second-best quarterback in terms of a guy you want to build around in the entire league, let alone the AFC. So I think Josh Allen's story is incredible. I think he deserves a ton of credit for the improvements that he's made, but I still think that Sean Watson is a better quarterback both now and for the future. We're talking to Robert Mays, host of the athletics football show podcast. You can also check him out on Twitter at Robert Mays, Robert Smith sticking with the AFC though. And I know you guys talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday. The Buffalo bills looked great last night. The Steelers did not. And we've been talking all year. Who's the team that can potentially upset the chiefs in the AFC. I'm leaning at this point towards, and I know this sounds kind of crazy given where we are, but I think it's the Titans or the Browns given the way that they are constructed. But for you, who is the team right now in the AFC that has the best chance to knock off the Chiefs? I think it's Buffalo because 
Buffalo can play any style and create explosive plays. And the reason that I say that is because if you look at a lot of the numbers, the Browns and the Titans both are heavily dependent on play action to create explosive plays in the passing game. They both use it at some of the highest clips in the NFL. I believe Baker and Ryan Tannehill are one and two, and I think they're tied at 10 yards per attempt on play action throws this season. So that's how those offenses are constructed. If you go down 14 points to the Chiefs in the first quarter, I don't have a ton of faith in those offenses being able to come back. The Bills are a different story. I think that Josh Allen, it gives you some volatility in a good way that those other two offenses don't. And I just think his ability, not dissimilar to what Patrick Mahomes can do, where he can make any throw to any point on the field at any time, gives you the best puncher's chance against that Chiefs team in a way that other offenses more reliant on structure can't. So, Robert, has your opinion changed any bit on the Chiefs after the last couple of weeks? Of course, yesterday with the three interceptions for Pat Mahomes and then the week prior, yes, a win, but a close one. Has it changed at all about them being the the clear-cut favorite right now? Yeah, it has changed. I think they're better than I thought they were. (laughs) I love it. I I, I think that, I mean, that Miami game, you're playing against a team that I believe was fifth in the NFL, top five in the NFL, in drop back expected points added per play. Advanced metrics said they were one of the best five or six pass defenses in the entire league. And the Chiefs made it look easy. They made it look casual. And when you throw two interceptions within the first few minutes of a game and you take a 30-yard sack on the third drive, it should, you should lose that game. I mean, that, that's a game against a playoff team The NFL teams lose on the road week in and week out, even really good ones. And we made the comparison on our show last night. Think about what happened to the Rams down there. The Rams are a good team. The Dolphins jumped on them, and the game was over. The Chiefs are never in that position. The game is never over. There's no way to jump on them because there's no lead that's insurmountable. I just think that the only times we've seen them lose, especially the only time we've seen them lose this year, is to a team that really traded punch for punch for them all the way through and just happens to not give the Chiefs the ball at the end. I don't know if there's a world where you can play the defense because we saw that in the Super Bowl last year. So I just think that they're as potent as they've ever been and they're as in concert and cohesive and and all of the factors are working together in a way that it never has. I just can't imagine a world where they lose if something catastrophic happens. We're talking to Robert Mays of The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Robert, I'm a Chiefs fan myself, grew up in Kansas City, and what you just said, like, that is so foreign to me as a Chiefs fan, and I've kind of, like, settled into this spot of, okay, it's gonna be okay. I know you went to Mizzou, so you you can kind of lean on that experience. Like, every time that we watch a Mizzou game, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And for 20 years of my existence, that was the case with the Chiefs. And now it almost feels like even if they're down 14 with seven minutes to go, I just assume that they're going to find a way with some sort of magic to be able to come back from that. And it's almost become boring, I think, for a lot of sports fans. It is really amazing just how casually and calmly they're able to flip a game. I mean, yesterday you have that moment where they go down and I think Kelsey scores the touchdown. I can't remember the exact timeline of it, but they had the pick that was tipped that Tyron Matthew got, and then they scored almost immediately. I think that was the Kelsey touchdown, and that put them up 14. It was 10 to 7, and the Kelsey touchdown puts them up 14 to 10. It was right at the end of the half. Mm-hmm. And then they get the ball back in the third quarter. They had that completion to Clyde Edwards for up the left sideline for like 25 yards. And then from the 44, Mahomes just unlaunches that rocket to Tyreek Hill 
It's 21 to 10. And then they get a three. Miami gets a three and out punt. Hardman returns the punt for a touchdown. If you look at, and that's 28 to 10. If you look at the game time that passed between the time they scored the Kelsey touchdown and the time that McCall Hardman returned that punt for a touchdown, it's about three minutes of game action. And the game goes from 10 to seven to 28 to seven. And the game is over and they're 28 to 10 and the game is over. They are so capable of doing that. And they make it look so easy in a way that I just can't remember another offense doing the firepower and the explosiveness that they have across the entire unit is just something that no one in the NFL can really match. So Robert, we started talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts, and let's talk about the team that they beat and really that conference right now. So the saints lose, although still a, a, a strong team in the NFC, but are the Packers now the clear cut favorite in that conference? I think the Packers are the favorite just because I have so much more faith in their offense. I think their offense is the closest thing we have to the Chiefs. And if you look at all the numbers, they would bear that out. And then if you just look at the eye test, I think it would bear that out. But they're playing at such a high level just with that scheme and the way that Rodgers is playing. I have more faith in that. And the Chiefs' defense is fantastic. And I think that they got jumped on yesterday by a strange offense. That we've seen really good defenses struggle with running quarterbacks before just because it's not something that you're typically preparing for week to week. So could the Saints give the Packers some trouble? Well, yes, absolutely. But at this point, they're going to have to go to Lambeau to do that. I know home field advantage isn't that big of a deal, but it's still a situation where the Packers are playing in their own beds and they're playing in a space that's comfortable to them. So I absolutely think that the Packers probably have the inside track to that conference right now just because it's easier for me to bet on offense than it is to bet on defense, even when we get into the playoffs. And I just think that the Packers offense is the safest bet in the NFC at this current moment. As a little bit of a follow-up to that, Robert, and I, I typically don't love the MVP conversation as much as some people see, uh, do, but I, I think it's really fascinating this year because you have two super deserving candidates with Rodgers and Mahomes. Did Rodgers overtake Mahomes yesterday, or do you still have Mahomes as the favorite to win this award with the final three going into the final three weeks? I think that you have to own the season to win it. And I think that that the Chiefs have, you know, if they finish 15 and one, which I think they will, and they end up just running away with this, I think that you have to give it to them. And it's a narrative award. I can understand where people would get tied up into the Rodgers narrative, which I think is great. You know, having Aaron Rodgers be back playing at this level is really good for the NFL. It's good for everybody. But I do think that it should go to the most valuable player. And the most valuable player is the best player. And Patrick Mahomes is the best player. So there's a chance that people get bored and then just give it to Rodgers because it's something different. But I think right now, if I had to pick somebody, it would still be Patrick Mahomes. Final question for you of Robert Mays. He is of the athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Robert Mays. Robert, I know you're a Chicago guy. You are a Bears fan. And Mitchell Trubisky looked good yesterday. Are we going to see this entire front office coaching staff and Trubisky back again next year? Is, this, is that the direction <laughs> I, I, that this thing's going? I got to go. I can't hear you breaking up on me. <laughs> I, I, it's, I, I don't understand how you could come to that conclusion. And I don't understand how you could look at the body of work over the last two years and talk yourself into the idea that rolling with this again is smart. And teams have done stupider things in the past and teams have rationalized less. You know, there are absolutely scenarios. And we play this out a thousand times where the McCaskies or Ted Phillips or whoever sit there at the end of the season and say, 
this defense is still good. We can still get the most out of this. Why shake everything up now when we only have one or two more years of this defense? I think that's possible. I think it would be incredibly misguided. That is chasing something that no longer exists. And at some point, if you're in the middle and you're stuck in the middle and there's no path out, you need to do something drastic to get yourself there. And the Browns have done that and succeeded. It took a couple of years, but they just needed the right coaching staff to put this roster going in the right direction. And they did that. The Dolphins did that. I just think that you can't try to play the middle ground and tinker and just say, all right, if we do this and that and bargain with yourself, because that's just not a path to success. It, it never has been in the NFL. And I just think if you look at the Bears and you're being realistic with yourself, they need bigger changes than one or two little things. And that includes the quarterback, that probably includes the coaching staff, and that probably includes the front office. The hamster wheel of mediocrity is a hell of a thing in the NFL. He is Robert Mays. You can find his work over on The Athletic. He's the host of The Athletic's football show. Robert, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Wish you all the best, and hopefully you have a happy holidays, my man. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. That's Robert Mays joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 117. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Chicago Bears are going to be one of the biggest offseason questions to me that I have just this odd curiosity about because they're not going to have a top five pick. They might not even end up with a top 10 pick. In fact, right now, they are still technically in the playoff mix, which just seems like insanity given where the NFC uh, playoff race was a few weeks ago. If they end up bringing back this coaching staff in front office along with Trubisky, whew, Chicago Sports Radio is going to be a hell of a place over the next few months. I'm sorry, what's Trubisky's record this season? Yeah, okay. It's a winning record. <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of in or out next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. In or out, Ferrario. SLU, Illinois, Mizzou will all make the Sweet 16 this year. In. In without question. I don't see somebody who can beat those three teams until you get to that point. Once you get to that point, there's some clear cut favorites. Like, you know, you got Iowa right now as the top ranked team. Richmond is going to be very difficult for SLU uh, when they match up against them. But I see all three of those being sweet 16 teams. I see two of those three being elite eight teams. Really? I, I don't know if Mizzou has enough to get to the elite eight. But if SLU and Illinois can stay healthy, I think those two teams are Elite Eight teams. That's interesting. That's really high praise. Um, I think one of them, if I had to say the most likely to make the Elite Eight, I would still go with Illinois because of the Elite too. talent. Yeah. If I were to say which one is most likely to miss the Sweet 16, I would probably go with Mizzou just because on any given night, if their shooting isn't there, and we've seen that plenty already this year, if their, pl- their shooting is not there, they could easily get bounced in the second round. That being said, I'm in on this. I think all three teams should be the expectation this year. The hope is that they make the Sweet 16. I think all three are going to. They just all have the formula that you would like to see 
in a pandemic year when there is so much uncertainty, they all have the type of leadership that you would expect to see from a Sweet 16 team and the talent that is required to be able to be at that kind of a level. Let me ask you this then, BK, because uh, you uh, you stiff-armed me on Friday when you said who would it be better for a victory in the long run, the football or basketball team from yeah. zoo basketball wins you said basketball is good in the long run what are the ramifications of that win now for the missouri tigers so for conzo it's an interesting question for conzo it's huge because next year is going to be really rough for mizzou basketball if you look at what they have right now xavier pinson's going to be gone drew smith's going to be gone mark smith jeremiah tillman um Mitchell Smith, that's five guys out of your top seven players in your rotation that are going to be gone next season from this Mizzou Mizzou team. If you remember back to it was the 2011-2012 season when Mizzou had that really, really good team. And ultimately, we know how it ended. Norfolk State. Um, All of those guys were upperclassmen. Most of them, I think it was five of the seven, were graduating after that year. They needed to have a big year that year to be able to make good on it. That's what this year is for Conso. This is what everything has been building towards. What Eli Drinkwitz is setting the foundation for right now, two, three years from now, he needs to make good on, right? That's what Con- where Conzo's at now. The timelines are just so much different. So for me, the reason why it was so important that he won that game, that he has a good season, is because you want to see what the ceiling looks like with Conzo Martin. We've seen him make the tournament. We haven't seen him make a really great season and parlay that into something more meaningful once he gets to the tournament. And I think a win like that against Illinois shows me that he can have that. What what did you make of the win on Saturday? I thought the exact same thing in another part of me. And if you look at it, they, they were talking about it on the broadcast of all of these guys who were in between when it comes to Illinois or Mizzou. And look, uh, we talked about it earlier with Jeremy Werner and Matt Fortuna talking about how great the recruiting class is in this area. That win, just at least for me, when you get a guy like Conzo Martin, who's from East St. Louis, who can sell the program for Mizzou, and if you get success this season of an Elite Eight team, that helps in the recruitment process, and it puts you ahead of the pack when it comes to Travis Ford and Brad Underwood. Because frankly, right now, those two have the higher selling point for their programs in college basketball in the area than Conzo does. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, why do you think Pinson's gone? He's a junior. He has said this is going to be his last season at Mizzou. He wants to make money next year. That's at least what I'm going based on. I don't know if he'll be an NBA player, G League player, overseas. I don't know where he'll go, but it it does appear that this is going to be his last year and Right at now, Mizzou. that's the path to make money. I, I mean, even yeah. if you don't make the NBA, you go play in Europe for a couple of years, and then you find a way to get into the NBA and make cash. And you can make some really good money overseas right now and it's a good life you i mean living in greece doesn't sound so bad uh six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line guys from the three one four did the steelers loss last night open up the door for the browns to win the afc north in or out ferrario the browns will actually end up winning that division boy that's so hard to put my money on cleveland although i did it before and i won eighteen hundred dollars like to remind everybody on that one argosy casino is where that's at um When you look at the strength of schedule, I think it favors Cleveland a little bit, doesn't it? So Cleveland's finished to the year. They've got the game tonight. You'll hear it right here on 101 ESPN. The Ravens versus the Browns pregame starting at 630. They've got the Ravens tonight at home. Next week, it is at the Giants. Then they go back to New York to play the Jets. And they finish up the year against the Steelers. Meanwhile, the Steelers' upcoming schedule, you're right, is a little bit more daunting overall. Coming up next week, the Steelers have the Bengals in Cincinnati. That should be a victory. But then got the Colts at home. 
And you finish off on the road against the Browns. So two tough games to finish things out for the Steelers. So I'm in on this because I think Cleveland can wipe the board with that, especially with what we've seen from Pittsburgh these last couple of weeks. Without Bud Dupree, they don't have that that inner presence on defense. And look, their secondary was exposed against Stephon Diggs yesterday. Uh, so I'm in on this because I think Cleveland can win itself out and close out with that Pittsburgh Steelers win. And frankly, I don't know if Pittsburgh's going to win more than one more game before their season ends. I'm in. I think Cleveland's ultimately going to win the AFC North. I think we see the Steelers finish out the season with two straight losses against the Colts and at the Browns. They finish the year 12 and four overall. The Browns finish the year 13 and three. Obviously the significant piece to this all is the Browns have to win tonight. Yep. And I've got them winning. I would take them on the money line in this game. The favorite is the Ravens, about two and a half, three points, depending on where you're looking. I think the Browns are ultimately going to win this one. So it all starts with that. But if they're able to do that, suddenly the door is wide open yep. for the Cleveland Browns to win the AFC North, which is not something I anticipated saying this season. With Alex <laughs> Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Huge, huge day for Carriker and Smallman's 12 Days of T-shirts. It is the final day to get that donation in for the Little Bit Foundation. If you donate at least $25 online today, you will receive a complimentary 101 ESPN t-shirt as a gift for your donation. That $25 donation is going to help the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to local students in need. A huge special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Massage Lux, for making a donation match of $500 for the 12 Days of uh, T-Shirts fundraiser. All of the details can be found over on 101ESPN.com. Also, huge thanks to all of you that have already donated. Our goal for this was $10,000. Based on what I have heard from Mike Ryder, we have officially reached that goal of $10,000. So awesome job for all of you. St. Louis was named uh, the most philanthropic city in the country very recently. You guys are showing that right now. Huge thanks to all of you. Let's keep this bad boy going. $25 donation gets you a free complimentary T-shirt from 101 ESPN. All of that helping the Little Bit Foundation. Coming up next, let's dive back into our big question of the day. Are the Cardinals expecting too much from their young players? Would you be okay? Okay, with Dylan Carlson just becoming Tommy Pham in terms of his on-field results. We'll play one quote from Ben Fredrickson that gives me a little bit of pause about the Cardinals' current projections internally next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So what would it take? What would it take? For Dylan Carlson to be a success, according to what the Cardinals have sold him to you as. I asked this on Twitter at BK Sports Talk is my Twitter account. You can follow Ferrario at Ferrario 101 ESPN. If Dylan Carlson develops into a Tommy Pham type of a player on the field, which is a 280 hitter, 380 on base percentage, hits 20 doubles, 20 homers a year, steals you like 15 to 20 bags as well. Is that enough? Or does it need to be something more than that for him to be a success? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We've got the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app as well to get involved. I've said all day, I think that should be considered a success for him, but I don't think it will be a success for Cardinals fans because of what they've sold him as. This is something where they have told you, the Cardinals fans, he's going to be a star. He's going to be somebody that you can absolutely build around. They've put his name in the same sentence, although not comparing directly as Albert Pujols. They have said that you you would have to pry him from my cold, dead hands in any sort of a trade. That's the type of comments that you make if you're like 
the Dodgers right now with Mookie Betts or Corey Seager. That's the type of comment that you make for some of the best young players in all of baseball. And if they expect him to be that, well, then you should aim for the moon. That should be the expectation. But I think we've seen that happen far too often from this Cardinals front office, and it places unnecessary pressure on the young players. I was thinking about this as I was listening to the best podcast in baseball with Derek Gould and Ben Fredrickson over the weekend. And Ben Fred was talking about how the Cardinals have missed far too often on their outfielders in recent years and their projections have been totally off. And he brought up a guy that we've heard so much about in recent seasons, especially in one off season in particular, which is Bryce Harper. There was a point in time when that was the name that we were talking about the way that we are now talking about some of these top free agents, right? Next year's offseason class, we're talking about so many of the shortstops. At one point, we talked about Harper that way. There was a reason why the Cardinals didn't sign Bryce Harper. I want you to listen to this from Ben Fred and go ahead and cover your eyes as you do. They've projected Tyler O'Neill to be the, you know, the, the guy that they create opportunities for that they hope diminishes the conversation of, hey, they should have gone and got Bryce Harper. I mean, people can can laugh about that, but that's that was part of the Cardinals' discussion about this. Hey, why would we go get, you know, why would we go get in the race for Bryce Harper when we got this guy coming up in Tyler O'Neill? Well, um, the projections are are promising, but the performance hasn't been good. Think about that for a second. Why do we go out and get Bryce Harper when we have this guy coming up in Tyler O'Neill? That's the thing that I think is so frustrating for Cardinals fans right now is as you as you look at, okay, Tommy Pham was a pretty good player for them. They decided to ship him out to be able to see what they have internally with some of the guys, including, again, Tyler O'Neill. You look internally and they decide to ship out Randy Rosarena because you got to find out what you have again internally with Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader. These young outfielders have come up and they've premiered and they become these cleanup hitters for a year. And it's like, oh, where did Randall Grisha go? He's gone. Okay. Well, Stephen Piscott, nope, he's he's gone as well. They have all of these young guys that come up, and you have some excitement surrounding them as they reach the big leagues. You see them perform, and you're like, man, that's not what I was sold. I thought he was going to be way better than that. Happened with a bunch of different players. Randall Grichik got a ton of opportunities as a cleanup hitter. Same thing was true for Steven Piscotty. They tried it with Tommy Pham. They tried it with Bader even for a bit. A bunch of dudes have received cleanup hitting opportunities, leadoff hitting opportunities. They don't perform the way that they expected. And then a lot of them have either been shipped out of town or continue underperforming here on the team. And I hope that that does not end up being the case for Carlson. I think he projects better than any of these other guys did, but that's what's keeping me from going all in the way that some fans have is they've projected a lot of players to be something more than what they've been lately. People people aren't going to like it, BK, but I get it. I get the comment of not going after Bryce Harper for Tyler O'Neill, and it's not a good thing because I, for one, thought they should be going for a Bryce Harper because he changes your lineup. You don't get players like this very often. But I get it because that's what the Cardinals organization's mindset is, and it always has been. And you're talking about in the 2018 offseason going into the 2019 year. Because you know what? In the 2018 offseason, Tyler O'Neill was still crushing baseballs in the minors. Now, he got a short sample size up at the major league level, but it wasn't a lot. Injuries kind of plagued it. He went up and down. But this guy was still dominating the baseball in the minor leagues. Now, I think his batting average was around, like, what, 270 or something like that? Not great. Not Bryce Harper numbers. But this was, what, a 21, 22-year-old outfielder that's hitting 150, 200 home runs in the minors. I say I get it because this is what we as Cardinals fans have bought into. This is what 
we have right now. It's been this way since they won the World Series in 2011. The only reason that they're not going after those guys are because they still had contracts left over. They're handing out contracts to current players, but it's always been about these younger players that are going to change the lineup. It's not the right decision, but this is where the Cardinals have been. This is where the Cardinals will be moving forward under John Mosaic. because if they have a player in their organization that they believe in, they're not moving on from them because they're going to stick with it until it is clear cut that this guy does not make sense and is in the futures for the Cardinals. The other thing that they had at that point in time, they were coming off a 2018 season in which Dexter Fowler wasn't healthy for most of the year. He stunk. That was that was kind of the start of the decline, or at least a significant decline. Rock period. bottom for him. It was terrible that year. Uh, Marcelo Zuno was manning the other corner, and then you knew both of them were going to be back the following season, along with the guys that you're talking about. You still had Tyler O'Neill. Lane Thomas emerged the following season. Randy Rosarena got some opportunities, although not as many as he should of uh, the last uh, the 2019 season as well. I still believe they should have made that move, but whatever, neither here nor there. One of the reasons internally why they didn't was because of a guy like Tyler O'Neill. The projections have been off. Yeah, the, they, they've missed. And so this is why right now, if you're the Cardinals, you need to get this right. Whoever it is that you're projecting moving forward to be the stalwarts of the lineup, I don't care who it is. Internally, externally, coming from uh, overseas, I do not care who the players are or how much you pay them. You got to be right. And too often they've been wrong of late. They were clearly wrong on Tyler O'Neill based on what the early returns have been from him. They believed that Dylan Carl or uh, Paul DeYoung, still seem to believe, is a middle of the order bat. So far, he hasn't made good on that. He is a really good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a guy that you love having on the team, but he's not a 30 to 40 home run guy that can be the middle of the order bat, batting cleanup, providing some protection for uh, Paul Goldschmidt. That's not what he is. Well, he is, but it's very inconsistent. He's not. He shouldn't be that. On a championship team, he is not He's not that. an everyday guy in that spot. And so you're, you're expecting something different than what they ultimately are as young players. And this all brings me back to what I heard from Randall Gritchick on the fast lane on Friday. Ferrario, if you could pull it up, how he became a more mature player mentally in Toronto. Randall Gritchick joined the fast lane and they asked him, you know, what's changed for you now? What what were you when you were here in St. Louis? And why are you a better player today than you were in St. Louis? Here's what Randall Gritchick had to say about that. When I was in St. Louis, you know, I think everybody could have seen it back then. It was, you know, young guys are getting an opportunity, but if you don't really succeed and succeed for a while, it's kind of that revolving door where someone else is going to get the opportunity. And, and then when they struggle, then you get your opportunity again. So, you know, when I got here, you know, I had just signed a arbitration, my first year of arbitration. So I was making some money. So I knew, kind of knew I was going to be out there every day and I did, and I played well. And then obviously it led to my contract. You know what the biggest thing with that when I hear that and I and I love the interview that the guys did with Randall Gritchick is that was a manager difference there. I mean, honestly, if Randall Gritchick is here in the Mike Schilt system, I think he's getting more of a shot to be what he is in Toronto right now. Why didn't they stick with Tyler O'Neill then? Well, injuries have been a big part of it with Tyler O'Neill. No, it wasn't this year. But this year, I think they've started to realize where they are at with Tyler O'Neill. I hear you, but now they're selling it in the offseason as if he's going to be a part of the plan in the outfield again or at DH again next Well, I just year, want to go with glove. Understood, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it, they, they are inconsistent with these messages. And in the season, I saw in the playoffs when they had to have a hit, 
they pinched hit for Tyler O'Neill in the playoffs at the back end of a series when they had to get something done. Yeah, but those are numbers that it's a what have you done for me lately, and the numbers showed that Tyler O'Neill was not he wasn't hitting at the time. Randall Gritchick, every every chance Randall Gritchick had, he was connecting. He was hitting. They just felt like there weren't options or there were options that were better than Randall Gritchick at the time. I mean, it wasn't always the case. In in year three, 2016, he hit 240 on the season with a 290 batting or 290 on base percentage. That's really bad. In 2017, 240 with a 285 on base percentage. Also really not good. And in those seasons, he was in and out of the lineup and they took him in and out. And that's that's kind of what we've seen over the last two years for um, Tyler O'Neill as well. And then eventually Randall Gritchick got his chance to play every day. I don't know if it would have worked for him here or not. I have no idea. Um, but it, it's, it's worked better for him in Toronto than it did when he was in St. Louis. And part of that is the consistent playing time. It's them allowing him to go with the good and the bad, because that's the type of player that he profiles as we all know what Tyler O'Neill is. He's going to strike out a ton. He's going to hit for a little bit of power. And if you sign up for that as a player profile, then you've got to be willing to go with the good and the bad. Otherwise, if you're just taking him out of the lineup every time you go through the down spells, well, then you're not going to see the good because he's not going to be able to get there eventually. So I, I, I have a fear for me that we're watching the same thing repeat itself. We're watching history repeat itself where Randall Gritchick was Tyler O'Neill before Tyler O'Neill became it. He got shipped out of town, and then he ended up becoming a stalwart for somebody else elsewhere. I think you're going to see something similar from Tyler O'Neill, and that's not me saying that he's got to be a guy that starts every day. Randall Gritchick is not a middle of the order hitter, six, seven, eight hole hitters, probably what Randall Gritchick is. But you've got to eventually find out what those guys can do for you. Otherwise, you're running through the same cycle repeatedly, and you never actually get the answers that you're looking for. This might be a question for another day down the road because I know we got to get to the crossover. But the Air Comfort Service text line asks, "What's the difference then between a healthy competition, which is always good, and what Gritchick was describing as bad?" The difference is eventually you need the answers. Having healthy competition is always good. I'm with you, absolutely. But eventually if like right now the cardinals are still after three years wondering what do they have in tyler o'neill well if you played him every day you should know and if you don't know after you play him every day well then that's on you for not being able to determine mm-hmm. what he is uh it was the same thing for randall gritchick they didn't seem to know what he was after his first couple of seasons eventually they learned and they felt like it wasn't enough for them but they're 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 very gun shy on finding these answers and making a determination based on what they see and so that's that's something where it, what is the healthy competition versus what Randall Gritchick is determining? Well, there's a balance there. And if you need to know with your young players what they are, there has to be at least a little bit more leaning into giving them those opportunities. It's something that I fear. This is another conversation for another day about what they're doing right now with the pitching. Are, are we going to eventually be able to find out what? Uh, Austin Gomber is what Daniel Ponce de Leon are. I I don't know, because that's something that now they're going to have to run into as well. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed any of that conversation, by the way, with Randall Gritchick on the fast lane, you can check it out on 101 ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. It is all brought to you by I Promise. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed any of the show, 101ESPN.com 
is a place where you can find it. Also, the free 101 ESPN app. Crossing things over with the fast lane. Brad Thompson is in studio. BT, how you doing? I'm doing all right. What are you guys up to? You have a good weekend? I did. I realized I'm officially washed. I am old. What do you mean? I am an old 28. I Yesterday, Kara had her nieces and nephews over. Okay. Niece and nephew, rather. Um, and you know the classic game of chase, right? Where the the child is running around after you, right? Okay. You chase after you if you didn't yeah. know BT. Absolutely. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing the back pedal. I was playing in my, my corner stance, right? And by the end, I was like, you know what? That was a lot of fun. I'm tired. But this morning I woke up, BT, and I realized my back is in pain. Like, I am exhausted the lower back is just done done after what probably an hour or two of playing with this little toddler it's over for me i'm done no it's it's not over for you no no no. think about it this way okay uh because i I know you you're a runner you're a fit guy like it's doing something that's different like if i go out and and, uh, go play pickup hoops i am done (laughs) for a couple of days like i got muscles that are hurting that just aren't hurt it's 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 the fact that you've mixed it up a little bit you shocked your system that's a good thing bending over at the waist all day like do you eventually get that that works yeah yeah the more you do anything the better it's going to be so in uh, i'll give you three years okay Okay. in three years when you have a a one-year-old and a two-year-old okay thank you three years and they're chasing your one-year-old's walking already he's a quick learner that little one uh that that, that little kylie like like, he's off and running uh you're gonna be fine like those are gonna be muscles that you're gonna have you're gonna pick them up your your low back is gonna be good maybe you worked it a little bit either way you're gonna be fine like all of these things but then if you go out and try to do something that you were able to do beforehand like i don't know go run five miles yeah it's over it's, you're gonna die because you just don't get an opportunity to do stuff like this so Can shocking you, the system's a good thing do you how do you watch football on Sundays? I don't. I like uh, quickly. Like <laughs> I, I watch as much as I can. I, I cram at night, but it's in between projects. So on Saturday, I was watching uh, college football. Actually, here's my last two weekends. Okay, last Sunday I was recalking a shower in the, in my, the upstairs With bedroom. An L. Yeah, recalking. I had a funny story about somebody telling about caulking a, a house. I caulk everywhere. Uh, anyways, I'll get to her story later. With an L. Uh, her yeah, story yeah. or right all over her hands and. and Anyways, um, so I, I had my iPad set up in the shower and, and watching the, uh, the the Red Zone channel as I'm, I'm caulking the shower with an L. And then this weekend, uh, I'm watching college football on the iPad as I'm taking apart the washing machine to replace a, like, gasket inside my the washing. Then it never ends. Like, there's always something to do, which is everybody listening right now, you know it. Like, yeah. nobody listening gets to just plop down no. and uh, sit and watch sports all weekend see i used Our to be able to do same. that it's gonna change I live, <laughs> I live with the in-laws now and the little kids come over every sunday and listen i i'm unbelievably grateful to have the opportunity right like and they're not my kids so i i, I don't have to watch them the entire time right they're yeah, you just listen for loud exactly noises. play with them for a little bit and i can go right back to watching the screen you're all right <laughs> but Dad, it, is, bleeding. it is a different viewing experience than it was when you're just hey. sitting there beer in hand watching Watching for like 12 hours on television. BK's about to, uh, BK, uh, uh, Ferrario, you're about to have I this. Know. I mean, this is going to be your life. You it, guys it's are, different. Are you, you ready selling. for this? No, you the guys are selling. The first few months, though, maybe you get one that wants to like snuggle with you and then like 
sit there and and in the beginning it'll be easy. You're okay. just rocking the baby and you're watching sports, but then all of a sudden uh, the the duties going to get bigger and the duties will get bigger. But like there's <laughs> there's going to be more things for you to do and you just got to figure it out. You roll with the punches. And uh, being able to go back and watch, I couldn't imagine honestly, like years back when you didn't have all this technology <laughs> at your fingertips where I can go back and watch all of these games or I can see all of these highlights. I guess the only thing that people had going for them in this business back then is that a lot of people kind of took your word as gospel. Like you just said a guy had a rough day. <laughs> Thank God you, no internet. Because oh, you must pulled have. out the newspaper and went... Well, yeah, Jalen Hurts only went for like 167. Yeah, but he ran for 110. Like, yeah. like uh, they're, nope. they but you only got the you. one. Hey. Ma- you got like three games every Sunday yeah. in that 12 and it's 3 true. o'clock spot. Hey. He didn't have a good week. Now, everybody can watch every game on Sunday by just flipping over to Red Zone. That's like the Al Michaels joke on radio when he called hockey the first time and he didn't know what he was doing. And he said uh, all he kept doing was just repeating the same guy's name. And he said, Mike Smith had one hell of a game (laughs) because Mike Mike Smith Smith was passing it to Mike Smith. And Mike Smith just scored the goal from Mike Smith. That's it. That's That's a hell of a game. So here's the here's the thing, boys. For both of you, it all sounds exhausting. I was going to say I don't. Uh, three months change. is not going to be long enough for it's fine. me. Life's going to change, sure? but it, things are going to get better too. There's going to be sure? fun. They had, there's lots of fun stuff involved okay. too. And they wait till your kids like maybe your kids get into some sports, and then you go do that. Like there's going to be some fun stuff. But sitting on your ass all Sunday, oh, that's on. gone. It's done. Like yeah. that, that part of it's not happening anymore, and you're all going to be better for it. I've still got some time for Ario. Unfortunately, no, you're screwed. No, it's it's over for you. Oh, I've already been in that that stage of having to fix everything now because my wife of course is pregnant so bt i know benji molina's coming up at 215 what else do you guys have coming up today on the fast lane well we have uh some finality uh, when it comes to our fast lane pick em challenge by the way good Hold week. on wait a second it's got to be a good week right i got like 12 games correct yeah, you did pretty good i think i had like 11 or so too we had a couple of our teammates that let us down do you regret telling meat and threatening meat to not pick philadelphia no, no, I stick with that. Because that could have changed everything, guys. It didn't. Unbelievable. We lost, we lost by quite a bit. Oof. Oh, God. Turns out. Turns okay, out. well, can't I'm wait not to getting this. shot this week, so I'm happy about that. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Fast lane coming up next. They've got Benji Molina at 215. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.